Today I sat with Alex Flom. This podcast is split into three fairly distinct parts. The first section is about Alex's time in the Navy and a harrowing story about him and a team of SEALs holding down a remote base for four months in Afghanistan while under a daily barrage of enemy fire. The second section is a deeply personal and tragic story about Alex's brother and my best friend and former business partner, James Flom, and his girlfriend, Shannon Norton. Lastly, we had a deeply technical and philosophical discussion about graph theory and how it will directly impact AI and second brains. While this conversation is a bit of a whirlwind, I suspect that you'll enjoy it very much because I sure did. So please strap in for this conversation with Alex Flom. So I think it'd be good for the audience to hear a little bit about your background. Um, so why don't we talk about you getting into the Navy? I think it would be a good place to start. God, I was a shithead and I didn't have any options and I ended up in the Navy. It's a great story. Yeah. It's a great story. There's more to it, obviously. <laughs> but like uh, when, when we were saying like, are we talking about the events that led up to me getting, going to the Navy? Yeah, sure. It's actually probably relevant to the conversation. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I, um, I've now returned to my hometown, uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, thank you for flying down by the way. Yeah, it was, uh, we live in the air of, of cheap plane tickets, so <laughs> it was uh non-disruptive. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to go into my childhood, right? I'm, okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to uh, play therapy. Uh, well, project <laughs> a, a therapy session into your show. Um, but yeah, I, I um, had kind of a weird, weird um, teenage experience. Um, lived with my sister when I was 15. Um, I think that's when I first met you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then. Um, um, you know, you're already a vulnerable demographic, right? Like broken home, right? Like all of these um, dabbling in drug use, you know, like teenage males are just assholes anyways, right? So like I'm already there. And then um, this this like really significant event happened in my life and that was my sister dying. And well, um, it, not to put two point of... She did not die. That's not exactly what happened. Right. There was more to that story. Yeah. So, um, so she was married to, um, somebody that everybody hated. Um, so, so like when I look back and I, and I think, you know, like this guy was an asshole, right? Like, and, and then it makes sense, right? Like, we already hated the guy and then he goes and kills my sister and then himself. And so like absent, like mental illness or all these other excuses that we, that we like to assign tragedies like that. It was pretty, pretty easy just to to fucking hate the guy. Right. Like I already, we already did mostly hate him. Yeah. Um, and so, so it was really, it was really convenient, you know, um, just to be able, it it was easy, it was easy in, in so far as, um, to kind of villainize him, right? Because like he's a fucking asshole, and and it made what he did made you know ultimately I think made sense. So, 
so yeah, I, I, I guess the, the context here and, and how this relates to the Navy. And then I think we'll pro- other things we'll, we're probably we'll, going to talk about. Yes, yeah. But, you know, that was, that was this, this experience. And, and, you know, I'm already kind of like off my rocker, you know, like I don't have a stable home life. I'm living with my sister and, you know, kind of like a feral child. And, and then like my sister dies under these horrible circumstances. Other sister. Yeah. Yeah. To be clear. Yeah. Two yep. sisters. Yep. And, um, and then, and then like, there's a bunch of fallout from that, right? Like, I'm not going to get into, you know, why, but and the, I couldn't, all of a sudden I couldn't live with my sister, right? So now I'm, I'm, you know, trying to figure out how to, I just dropped out of high school, right? It was like, this happened three days before my senior year. And so, so now um, I'm on my own and I started just, you know, dive bombing. So all of the destructive behaviors that, you know, teenagers are known for, it was like times 10 for me, you know, and, and, and fueled by pill cocktails or whatever, you know, my friends could hand me and, and, you know, 18 year old intoxication. Right. So this went on for about a year, ran out of options, homeless. And then, um, and, uh, my brother actually flew me down here to, to, uh, San Antonio. My, um, um, my, he's older than me, but he's the younger of my brothers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he, he's just like, dude, you like, you got to figure this out. Like you, you need to join the military. And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm like a pseudo hippie vagrant from Fort Collins, Colorado. I'm, and Oh, by the way, the guy that killed my sister was in the military. Right. So he, he had come back from Iraq. He has PTSD and we later find out he has like bipolar. Um, so really, you know, um, that was my image of what the military was. Right. It was this, this, this produced this, this person who killed my sister. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, oh, fuck yourself. Like, I'm not doing that. And, um, and he had, you know, he had like the kind of like, he had a, a certain way I was supposed to, I was supposed to join the Navy or the Navy. Right. So it was, you know, you got to go to high college. You don't enlist in the Navy. Cause that's, you know, that's not, that's not cool. You have to be an officer, right. For it to really, to really pay off. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at him like, dude, I just dropped out of high school. Like I'm not getting a four year degree to go into the military. Um, anyway, long story short, I, I come back the funny, actually, uh, I don't think many people know this, but I was actually on probation when I joined the military, mm-hmm. um, which was later identified during a security clearance screening. <laughs> um, sailed right through. Fucking awkward dude. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's how I that's how I came into the Navy is is just kind of like ran out of options, and then um, kind of took my brother's advice, but not really because I just enlisted, and then um, today's what's today? Uh, what is it? Um, December eighth. So I joined I joined the Na- Navy December seventh of two thousand six. Mm. Yeah. So this is that's sort of an anniversary. Yeah. Cool. So when you got in, what were you sort of, des- what were you supposed to do when you got there? Like everyone's kind of got a designation. What were you? Uh, IT. So you're supposed to uh, fix computers, it sounds like. The irony is, <laughs> I had no fucking idea how to use a computer. <laughs> so it's 2006, right? Like pseudo hippie homeless vagrant kid 
doesn't know how to use computers. Mm-hmm. I, I did, my dad, my whole family's a bunch of computer nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I, I had experience being around them. And you had somebody to call. Yeah. If you wanted to. A bunch of people to call, but yeah, one specific person. Mm-hmm. Um, oh God, I'm having BSD flashbacks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, yeah, I went from um, like, my, my, I didn't know how to use computers so, so much so that what was it before, um, Facebook, MySpace, MySpace. I think that was right before. Yeah. Somebody had to make me a MySpace account cause I didn't even know how to get on the goddamn service. Like I didn't like, yeah. So she had to actually make me an account and everything. And, and that was my, that was my only presence, um, or, you know, relevant experience. Was somebody else making me. <laughs> but then you actually learned about radio operations, right? Yeah. So, so it in the Navy, um, was the result of the joining of two other, uh, military disciplines, which was, um, data processing and, uh, radio, radio men. So, um, at some point in, I think right before I joined, um, they had they had radio men and data processors, and they they kludged them together and, and called it an IT, right? Because well, it can make sense. Kind of, it's all got transistors and <laughs> resistors, and <laughs> it, it was funny because like these people hated each other. Like the DPS and the RMS, you know, as their designators, like they they had a fair amount of disdain for each other. So now they have to work together, and it was mm-hmm. awkward. Interesting. Yeah. But then you started doing it in more and more austere situations, right? Yeah. My, so my first, my first, um, duty station in the, in the Navy was in Hawaii. It was really, really cush shore duty. And, you know, if, if you ever talk to sailors and they're like, how the fuck did you get a shore duty for your first assignment? And I was like, I don't know. I, I didn't have any choice over this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I go in and, and I'm doing, um, shore duty in Hawaii and, like I just knew that I was gonna go to a frigate or a destroyer or 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 some small boy as close to Japan as possible. Like that that's what I was gonna do. Mm-hmm. I was gonna be a Westpac sailor, like and I get my orders after this this shore duty and it was like you're going into naval special warfare. And I'm like, I have no fucking idea what that is. And um Yeah. You're you're it. <laughs> Yeah, tag. <laughs> Horrible. So what was that like? Um, I have no idea what to expect, right? Like, I know I know who the SEALs, what the SEALs are. I've heard of SWIC. Um, and I got my orders, uh, and with my orders, I had to report to SEER. And so, like, all the air crew guys go through SEER, too. So, they're, like, trying to tell me, like, yeah, like, you know, it's pretty hardcore, you know. Kind of getting me jazzed up. And so, on my way to uh, Virginia, where, where my assignment was, like, I stop in San Diego and get my ass beat, you know, for a week. <laughs> and, like, what the fuck, man? Like, this isn't cool. Um, it does torture you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God. And then... She uh, had older brothers, so it's you know, it's about the same, right? <laughs> Well, just a whole week straight of it. Well, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, like <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Like <laughs> if you told, if you told like our, our Kush pampered society that people go into it willingly, like 
get beat in the face, you know, like. I have, I have, I have a little bit of um, cynicism for for how soft our society is. So, yeah, but yeah, sorry, that might be off topic, but no. Uh, so what hap- what what happens? So you went through Sear, and then where'd you go? Yep, I go through Sear. Um, I report to uh, the Mobile Communications Detachment um, in. Um, or is it Virginia Beach? And so the, a, a mobile communications detachment is like all of the comms, comms people and equipment, and they they service um, the seals, the SWIC, and sometimes you get farmed out to like. So there's like a delineation in the Navy, like EOD. That whole thing isn't isn't special warfare; it's special operations, mm-hmm. and so they actually. And and then and then it's not special forces, right? It's special warfare, and there's like all these really minute differences between these terms. I think that it comes down to congressional funding. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, so I, I go to this mobile communication detachment, and you start going through tech training, and and they're teaching you like uh, how to use the equipment, but also how to you know handle weapons and and differently like, tactical training, mm-hmm. but like. I don't want to embellish that at all. Like the training is fucking garbage, you know, like <laughs> it's like, here you go nerd, you know? And then like a couple months later, you're in Afghanistan or something, you know? And it's like, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing, you know? So it's not glamorous. I, yeah. But you did it. You went through it. I did. Yep. And so I remember one story you were telling me at some point about um, some base that you had to protect you tell me that story? Yeah. Um, so, or in Afghanistan? I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, so I got stuck in Afghanistan for nine months, right? Um, and before we go, right, like I'm supposed to be at the headquarters, because I, I was an E6, which is like middle manager kind of supervisor, you know. And um, and so they want me at headquarters to to essentially do a bunch of admin work for all the keeping people's, I don't know, tracking their administrative data. And, um, you know, like 23, maybe. And I want to go see some shit, you know. And I'm like, I don't want to get stuck on, you know, this huge base like i want to go i want to go do afghanistan you know and so um i'd been doing all my my my, our workups leading up to deployment um i I kind of like okay it was manipulative like i I just straight up like i just didn't want to go and so i put it i put a bug in my in my uh troop leader's ear like hey like they're gonna take me over to headquarters He's like, oh, fuck that. You're coming with us. And I was like, that's exactly what I wanted. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So like end up in um, the middle of a, a river valley uh, on near the border of Pakistan. And so this was 2012. And. I don't think U.S. forces had been in that valley since like 2006, and so like 
there, there was a there was a, a platoon that had already had already kind of like set up the, set up the camp there, you know, and um, so they were the first ones there, and then and then we took over for them, so they rotated out, and um, it's like a horror show. It's like it's like why the fuck did you put your base at the middle of uh, at the middle and bottom of a valley, right? Because now everybody can just stand on the mountaintops and just lob RPGs and PKM and whatever other devices they want to throw at you, right? And it's like, this was never going to go well. And so, like, I realize very quickly after I get to this base, like, I've made a big fucking mistake. Like, I have now manipulated myself into my death. You know, I'm, I get off the helicopter, on the helicopter right in, they wing an RPG at us, right? So, like, we watch an RPG, like, we're in a CH-47 dual prop, you know, and a fucking RPG, like, the the, the bird, you know, you know, you see the single, and you're like, God damn, dude, where the fuck am I going? We get there, and uh, he was, like, the LPO, or that's the leading petty officer, or the, or the chief, I forget who it was. He says, he's giving us a tour, and then, he, like, you start hearing, you know, and you're like, you know, everybody just got here. Everybody's ducking and, you know, we're in, this is combat. And this guy's like standing there in his, in his little, you know, ranger panties or whatever they call them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, yeah, it's just, it's just background noise, man. You'll get used to it. <laughs> and I was just like, no, this is not good. This is not safe. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I sing... I was there for four months, I think, before we pretty much got evacuated from that base. And I think there were, started with like 13 of us. I think we, I think at one point there was like 30 of us out there. And, um, yeah, we just got shot at all the time, you know, because they put us at the bottom of a fucking valley. So, but as so they tried to, to give you supplies too, right? There was this whole problem yeah, with just getting right. stuff to you, right? Yeah. So, so the RPG that almost winged our helicopter, that was one of many RPGs that were fired at aircraft and, 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 and different gunfire that they were shooting. So um, I feel like if I tell you the... Uh, I'm, I'm just going to leave it at, like, a helicopter blew up at our base. So that was the first, like, people were like, ooh, that was not not a good look, right? That made... That made news back over here in the States. And, um, and then they started shooting at the, the, um, C one thirties that were doing the airdrops for us. And so it was like, nobody wanted to fly to our base cause that's where the helicopter blew up. And the circumstances of it blowing up was hilarious because nobody died, but it was like pretty, pretty significant. Like it was, I, I got to see a CH 47s rotors go out of sync and then fucking tear it apart and transmissions fell through the fuselage and I got to see the the crew chief and the um and the pilot spill out of this the side of this torn open helicopter beating the shit out of each other because <laughs> yeah it was awesome <laughs> but regardless of how that happened we were the place where the helicopter blew up and then we were also the place that helicopters keep getting shot at and we're also the place where every time they do a resupply mission like you know, because the way that the way that the C one thirties when they're doing their resupplies is they come way down. You know, like trying to drop it exactly on you, right? Yeah, 
And so, you know, that's a perfect time to shoot at a plane, you know? And so, um, we're going deeper into winter and, um, they're not, they're not coming. Like nobody's coming anymore. Like we don't get resupplied. There's no food. And I remember, I remember this guy, I'm not, so every time we got a resupply leading up to this, he, he would take these triple chocolate cheesecake and we just get fucking pallets of triple chocolate cheesecake. And he was just like putting them on the shelf. And I was like, why do you keep stacking the triple chocolate cheesecakes on the shelf? <laughs> and it's like, and there's no climate control. These things are just sitting out, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and, and he's just like, it's just, it's just a backup. And I was like, all right, whatever. You know, he's been, he, he's like been there a bunch, you know, he's, he's like, he was a corpsman. So like a total badass. So he knew what he was doing. Right. I had no, I didn't understand it. I didn't have to understand it. Um, we stopped getting food and then we ate triple chocolate cheesecake <laughs> for a fucking week, dude. Yeah. And then like, uh, I think we blew through all that and then we started eat, eat like tearing you open the care packages and like, Oh, you got beef jerky. Like that's food. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Like, God, that place was a shithole, dude. That was fucking terrible. Um, yeah. So like, I remember, I remember laying in my cot and I'm, it's like the middle of the night. I'm trying to go to sleep and I'm looking up at the f- transitioning fall to winter sky. And I'm looking up from my tent at the sky because my tent had been shot so fucking much that I could see the sky and I'm getting rained on. Everybody's fucking hungry. And I'm like, this, I'm going to die. This is where I die. Like, I, I knew for a fact, like, that's where I was going to die. Um, and uh, then, yeah, things took a f- weird turn. Like, our CO, ki- like, committed suicide in Afghanistan. And um, just really... a. a they said it was the most casualties. I don't know the I don't know the stat, but um, it was a lot of casualties more more so more than more than normal, and so uh, and these are primarily seals deployed, right? I think it, the majority of the casualties were EOD because hmm. you know they're digging yeah. for um, IEDs and stuff. Uh, well, they, they had they had other Afghani forces doing the majority of that, but I do I, I think the majority of the losses were um, EOD, EOD techs, yeah. And, um, yeah, um, and then, and then everything kind of started not making sense. Like, why are these people out in this valley not getting resupplied and getting shot at all the time? Right. So like, I think common sense took over and, um, and it was kind of like destroy everything and get pulled out under the cover of darkness kind of thing. So, um, I was pretty pretty psyched when that happened. Like when we got the news, <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, get some real food and hot shower. Well, it, it's well, and that's the thing too, right? Like maybe I'm just a dirty fuck. I don't know, but like, I, you know, there's no water. It's the middle of winter. You know, like I'm not taking a shower. People baby wipe themselves. And I was like, you still smell like shit. Like I'm not doing that. Um, so I'm just a dirty fuck. But yeah, that was nice to get a shower. Um. 
So you actually uh, you actually got hit at some point as well with an RPG or nearby or something. Yeah, it was like Dur- during that time, right? I can test this, but it was like kind of convenient also because like that goes in like your like post military stuff, like uh, the VA, you know, disability ratings and stuff like that. So it's like I don't I don't know how like sig you know like. I was near an RPG that went off, right? Like, they winged one in. It landed. It it fucked up all my comms equipment, and you know, I was I was nearby. Um. And nearby enough to get hit by the concussion at minimum, right? Yeah, and there's no shrapnel. You can see where the shrapnel went into it. It's called a Hesco barrier. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. No. It's like a. It's a like a fence that they just put dirt into. Oh yeah. Yeah. Convenient barrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so like you could see where the, where all the shrapnel went into this barrier and kind of like on the top of it. Um, and then, yeah, I think what I got was just like the concussion from, from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then you had to put all that stuff back together. Right? And then I had to do math in, con- yeah. It, under, like I'm already out of it. The gears fucking trashed, and we're, we're under like a serious attack, and and it's like, okay, I gotta I gotta re- reprogram all the, the my spare radios because we you know you have everything set up and you have spares because Navy Seals two is one, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I pull my my spares out, but you still have to put antennas on this shit. You still have to program them. You have to load them with with the um. They're, uh, it's a type of, um, I actually don't know what type of cryptography it is. Yeah. Anyways. It doesn't matter. They have something that you fill into it to, um, yeah. So had to do all that, um, well, well, was not thinking Mm -hmm. and then run outside and try to shoot somebody. So you eventually got evac'd out, um, which means the base effectively was taken back over, right? Um, we destroyed it. Yeah. Like I'm sure they pulled shit out of there. Like once we left, but there was I, we we, because we we had skid steers and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, just pretty much just burned everything. I we sat out. We sat out. Um. Outside, with a uh, Carl Gustav, recoilless rifles, mm-hmm. and. I think they say like you're only supposed to shoot like so, so many times per day or within a certain period. Yeah, because they give you concussions. Yeah, I think we shot like 23 rounds, just back to back to back, just standing out there, just blowing shit up, just taking it, you know, taking all this shit out and just blowing it up and trying to burn everything and bury it. So when you got back, um, was there a sense of r- relief that that was over, or were you more like "fuck"? I wish we had been able to keep that thing secure, or what was the what was sort of the mood on the ground? Well, so like, yeah, I'm, uh, they call you like uh, comms guys, techs. Mm-hmm. I'm a tech, and um, they're they would go on patrol, right? So like the seals and then they had like a, um, an augment of like army, um, army infantry seals, army infantry, EOD, 
those types, right? Some other army augments. They'd, they'd go out on these 20, 20 kilometer patrols on foot. And then it was like, well, who do you, who's left at the base? That all the fucking nerds, right? So like, <laughs> they would leave us like seven people. It'd be like like six techs and like a seal or like five techs, two seals or something like that. And they would just they would just leave us there for like twenty four hours. And then and then the Taliban's not stupid. They know they're they're gone. So of course they're gonna attack us. It's like I was I was just fucking over it, dude. Like I. I remember <laughs> this was like literally every day they shoot at you. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes you can see them and shoot back, right? But more often than not, what you're going to do is you're going to take a 120 millimeter, millimeter mortar system. We had an automated mortar system. This thing's badass. It's got a, it's called FBCB2 um, computer mounted on it. And so, and, and so this is the, this is the, essentially like the guidance and messaging system that's in all of the tactical vehicles. Mm-hmm. And so y- you could program this thing with fire plans and it's automated. It's a 120 millimeter mortar. And you could, you could say like, I want, I want to, I want to drop like 10 mortars or something. And then you, you, you touch the screen and where you wanted them. And then it would just automatically go there and drop the mortar Grab the oh shit handle, you know, 120 millimeter mortar yeah. launching is it's it'll kick. Yeah. So so that's what you're doing, right? Like you don't know where these people are at. So you, you have white phosphorus and you're trying to airburst and burn down as many mountains as you can, right? To stop them from shooting at you. Mm-hmm. And then um and so that's what usually what we did, but I remember this one, it's like they're all gone. We're getting attacked. We have to go to another base that's of Afghani military to get help because it's just a couple of us on on this base. It's not a base, right? It's a, just a fucking camp. Um, <laughs> and I'm, how, how big was this thing, by the way? Like how, like square footage kind of thing? Like a quarter of a football field, maybe. Okay, small, small, very small, maybe smaller than that. Yeah, it's really small. And and how many people there? Like thirty, you said. Like that was like the max. I think it went from like around 15, maybe up to 30 sometimes back down, depending on who we had with us. Um, Cause like we'd get different, like, like infantry augments or like uh, army SF had, had stuff that they'd cycle people through to do whatever they, you know, whatever they had to do. Cause it's not like everybody on this, on, on your camp has one mission, you know, you're yeah. just kind of like a place to launch from. Mm-hmm. But I just, I just remember I was in a dune buggy and I'm, I'm in a dune buggy. I got my plate carrier on. I, I have like, you know, swim shorts on combat boots, a plate carrier, no shirt. Right. I have my rifle. We're getting shot at. I'm driving a fucking dune buggy or side by side. Mm-hmm. And our, our leading petty officer, the seals, he's like in the passenger and you know, being shot at and I'm, and I just remember, like, wow, how the fuck did I end up here? Like, you know, this is like goes back. Like, I'm I'm totally unqualified to be in in, in these in this situation, you know. And 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 I remember when I pulled up because I, I overheard them say, "Hey, we got to go get these guys at this other base." And so I was like, "Yeah, I got this." So I pulled up with the dune buggy side by side, and I remember him going, "Oh my god," because like I'm the last person that you want driving or in combat <laughs> with you because I'm a fucking nerd. And so 
And I just remember, I remember him saying that. And then he like eventually gets in cause we have to go. And, um, and I remember driving and in, in that stupid, in that stupid side by side. And I remember thinking like, how in the fuck did I get here? So that's all to say that when we got out of there, like I was super happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very relieved. But they, I mean, surely the, the seals, they were helping you like learn how to shoot and be better and, yeah. you know, actually help them operate at minimum just to keep the base secure. Well, so, so there's, you, you have like combat support and then combat service support. And the type of technician I was, I was supposed to be combat service support. So like, I'm not supposed to be in combat. Like I'm, I'm, I'm there. Yeah, but to clearly s- you were, I mean, they're shooting at you every day. Right. And so that's why I shouldn't have been there. Right. <laughs> but, um, and I, I think for a while, like I really wanted to go on like ops with them and they're like, no, fuck you, dude. Like you, you have no idea what you're doing. You know, like, that's, that's actually accurate. So. <laughs> Completely fair. Yeah. I'm not going. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they did train us. Like I, I was telling you, like I, you know, like had shooting competitions with them and stuff. It was really fun. Um, so, so like, yeah, I knew how to shoot, you know, I, I knew how to operate the gear, but like tactically, you know, like, like when, whenever the seals are training and doing like land warfare, urban, you know, assault or whatever it is, like, I'm not there training with them. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sitting back in a trailer or in a house running their comms. And so like, I didn't get any of that fucking training, you know? So. Mm-hmm. But you kind of pick up by osmosis to some degree, right? Well, yeah, you get shot at, you're going to figure out what the fuck you're doing really fast. <laughs> you know? And I, I mean, I, I saw other, other techs kind of like struggle with that too. So like you had to, we had to take turns, you know, like manning the, we had like a little guard tower built of Hesco barriers that had like a little bit of an elevated position where you could see around the camp. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember like, I think it was a really, it was a really significant firefight. Like it was a lot going on. And I, I remember I look over and there's a CV on, on that, that tower. And he's like in his fetal position under the Hesco and we're all getting fucking shot at. And, and, and the chief's like, shoot that fucking gun. And, He's not moving. And the chief went up there and just threw him off that tower. And then the next day that guy was gone. Wow. So it was like. And like then, how do they even get him out of there though? They can't fly helicopters in. Well. Just got to hump it out. That was before the <clears throat> helicopters. Oh, I gotcha. But it, there were occasional helicopters. They were just so infrequent that it was kind of like useless. You couldn't count on it. Mm-hmm. Like, and another one is um, the Kiowas. Uh, they they don't run Kiowas anymore. I guess the army did away with them. What is that? The uh, scout helicopter. Oh, gotcha. Real like really <laughs> small. Mm-hmm. They, they were those dudes are badass, man. Like they they'd come down like they wouldn't land. They just hover there and like throw us like um you know dip chewing tobacco <laughs> the, the essentials like fucking t shirts <laughs> and stuff like they're like the swag police or whatever and. uh I remember when that happened one time and we were like, we're really fucking hungry. They just like threw a bunch of, I mean, yeah, I, I was chewing a lot of tobacco, so I was really thankful for that. But, uh, uh yeah. Uh, Could have used some food. Yeah. No kidding. It really, I'm maybe I'm like over, over, you know, like that sounds pretty miserable. Yeah. It wasn't, it, it was not like this prolonged period though. There, there was, it was now it was it's a, condensed. It was the starvation, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. It, was, yeah. it was like a month where like the food was really getting scarce, and I think there was a week where we were like 
Weren't you like tr- horse trading with like villagers at some point? Or, like, yeah. There was some like. It was not. They'd steal goats and chickens. <laughs> yeah. So like. And, th- they, and and talk about winning hearts and minds. Right. Right. I think I think they ended up paying them on the back end. But like it would be like, where's my fucking goat? Well, mm-hmm. um, we also had like. What was nice is um, the CM. I don't know if you ever heard of the CMRG. They're uh, Afghani kind of like. If I, if I understand correctly, they were there with the Mujahideen, like way old school Afghanistan, Soviet conflict. Back when the CIA was funding them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so these guys, um, when, when, when the second Afghanistan or whatever this is, I don't know what, the, what you call it. Yeah. V2. <laughs> um, they kind of like brought all these guys out of retirement and I don't know how you retire in Afghanistan. I'm sure they were not retired, but they, they operationalize them again. And, um, and so th- these guys are like the Afghani EOD. And so they would do a lot of this liaison with the, with the village and stuff. And, um, so they hooked it up sometimes. Funny story. Uh, it's not funny. Do they live with you at the camp? Yeah. Or? Yeah. So it's not funny. Like their, their, their leader actually got shot in the head and at our camp and, and died. And like, we're way the fuck out there. Right. Like we're way out. And they were just like, fuck this. And they just walked out of our camp. Like they just fucking left. Like, like one day, like they literally just walked out of this valley in Afghanistan and just went home. And I was just like, that's so fucking ballsy, dude. Like all these Taliban people around here trying to kill us. And they're out here just walking home. And then um, they made it. They made it. Okay. Wow. Yeah, they made it. Yeah, they, they actually rejoined us once we got out of that <laughs> shithole. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, so um, how long were you in the Navy then? 11 years. Do you have any regrets about that? It sounds like that was pretty miserable, but every time we talk about it, you always seem to like find it funny. I don't know. It seems like you're always laughing every time we talk about it. Because it's it's the absurdity. Like, I, I think that, like, me ending up there was just the stupidest fucking thing in the world, right? Like, how did I end up... Well, you kind of volunteered. Yeah, well, yeah, but, like... <clears throat> it sounded like you kind of were had a sense of wanting some danger in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Where'd, where'd, where'd that come from? My my need for danger? Yeah, where do you, where do you think that came from? Hmm. I mean, you could have... Try to become a grunt right away. Why? Why did? Seem like it kind of came out of nowhere. Six years in, and then you decide you want to go knock some doors down. It. I don't. I think it was just what I like. What I was doing, you know, like when you're in these in these different situations, it's just like what everybody's doing, right? Like I'm at a SEAL team you know, what's the thing to do? This is SEAL Team 4, is that right? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> the, uh... <laughs> I, uh, I actually worked with several, several, several units. Um, so, like, all the, pretty much all the East Coast SEAL teams and, and, uh, Special Warfare units. So... Gotcha. So, the, my participation with, with... It wasn't just with them, it was with all, with all of them. Yeah. Got it. Although... I'm sure that if anybody wanted to fact check this and they 
decided to look up the CEO that killed themselves in 2012 in Afghanistan, they'd probably figure out which unit I was in. I see. And also a helicopter that crashed. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so you got out of the Navy. Um, and when, what year was that? 18. 18. But, but see, I got out of the Navy not because I wanted to, hmm. but because um, there's there two things. I was on deployment. And I was, and I just had, just had my first and then, yeah, first child. And, um, I was just like really missing my family. And I called up my partner and I was just like, I'm out. And I was like, I love this, but like, I don't want to be away from them anymore. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other, the other thing was, um, I, it's kind of dramatic, right? Like whenever I say this, people are like, I, I kind of viewed myself as like an agent of chaos. And so I, I was put into the Navy. And if you knew anything about like military advancement and stuff, then you know that like me becoming an E6 in the Navy in two years of enlisting is just fucking ridiculous. And then, and then I found that after that two years, I couldn't advance. Right. Like I, I, I was, I loved the Navy more than the Navy loved me is what I would say. And so like, I was getting frustrated because I was like, I have the combat action. Should have, should have uh, followed your brother's advice and gone the four years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because like I have all these qualifications, right. I, 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 or, I don't know qualifications, accomplishments, achievements. Sure. And, but like the blue water Navy doesn't give a shit about that. Right. And like my advancement is controlled by them. And so now I kind of like, I can't advance, right? I, I, I didn't get, adva- I didn't get a promotion in nine years. And so it, there's like a, a fatigue associated with that, you know? Um, so it was like missing the family and then kind of realizing that like, I hadn't been playing the game in the Navy. I had been playing my game in the Navy, um, which resulted in achievements, but not the type of achievements that would have been required of me to advance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. Well, uh, I think we should talk about James. Okay. So, uh, James Flom was actually on my podcast. Um, I don't, um, uh, don't think I know the exact episode. It's just too bad. Um, Oh yes, I do. It was season three, episode four. Um, and, um, he was my best friend, former business partner, mm-hmm. um, research partner. We did a lot of research together. Um, and um, a while back, he did something pretty fucking horrible. Um, he shot and killed his long-term girlfriend, Shannon Norton, and then he shot and killed himself. Yep. So, um, like we had known of each other and, you know, met and talked, um, for sure before that, but we, you and I had not really gotten very tight, I would say until that unfortunate, um, catastrophe. Um, first of all, um, it's probably worth talking about how the world reacted 
first. And then we can kind of dig into what happened. So the, the first thing is obviously a lot of people who knew me or, you know, reached out and, you know, wanted to talk or whatever. But the people who didn't really know James at all had a surprisingly large amount to say about him. Hmm. And, um, and one of the comments, which I just like almost lost it over was, you know, this is clearly, you know, domestic dispute and blah, blah, blah. And this is domestic violence and such and such. I'm like, I don't think that's what happened. It wasn't. That's yeah. not what this was. I mean, obviously I would not try to, you know, sugarcoat it if I thought it was like if he was a piece of shit and I thought he was beating up his girlfriend all the time. This right. isn't somebody who's, this is the 14th time they beat up their, you know, girlfriend or wife or whatever this, this month. And they finally took it too far or yeah. something. This is something very, very, very different. So, um, when I was talking with other people who knew about the situation, they're like, Robert, just, just don't, don't engage at all. Um, and save it for some other time, you know, let, let everything cool down and, uh, and just, just don't talk about it. Um, there will be a time, you know what I mean? And so they were kind of thinking maybe I'd do it at a conference or something and have a bigger conversation about it. But, but I don't think so. I think I'm going to do it with you. Mm. I think this is where it's going to happen. Um, you and I both knew him extremely well. Um, and I think it would be, uh, the right place to have this conversation. Okay. So, um, so from my perspective, here's what happened. Um, uh, I was coming back from a trip from RSA conference, um, in San Francisco and, uh, I got a call out in an Uber on the way back to the airport. And, uh, you know, I was just chit chatting with a Uber driver and I'm like, oh, excuse me. You know, it was kind of an interesting conversation, kind of talking about the conference and stuff. Mm. And uh, and I got a call from one of his, uh, one of Shannon's friends, actually. Mm. And uh, I'm not exactly completely sure how she got my phone number, but maybe an old business card or something. And um, she starts telling me that she thinks, uh, or, or like, do you have you heard what happened? I'm like, I don't know. I don't think so. Mm. What What are you talking about? And the way she's phrasing it, and I don't know her very well. I've met her like once or twice. And so I'm like, the way she's phrasing it, I'm like, either this is a con, this isn't actually her, this is somebody pretending to be her, or maybe there is something wrong, but I I don't, I'm not going to trust anything coming out of this person's mouth mm-hmm. until I verify whatever it's going to be. I Like I'd already decided this call needs to be double checked. <laughs> it was too weird, right? Um. And so she tells me that uh, there was a there was a double double homicide mm-hmm. is what she tells me, and uh, and I'm like holy shit, um, and I'm like okay, well, um, you have my phone. She's like the police might call you, blah blah blah. Do you know how to get in touch with you? And um, and uh, I said yeah, sort of. You know, I had an old email address. I can pull it up. You know, and like well, the police are going to call you. So just FYI. So I jump on the on the phone with my fiance and I'm like, I need you to get over there. Mm-hmm. Like right now. Like I need eyes on his place. I need to know that this is actually really happening. Um, I haven't heard from him in a couple of days, so which isn't terribly unusual. I mean, he's not great on the phone. Um, so um so double check, you know, go go and uh and make sure. And I get a call back, you know, one or twenty, thirty minutes later or whatever, and sure enough there's a bunch of, you know, police department, you know, people and uh, ambulance and that kind of group of people out there. So that's when I was like, okay, this is real. This is a real thing. Um, still don't know any details. 
and the police absolutely completely messed up how they described it to the press. Yeah. They're like, they just said there was no gun found, but there was a gun found. They said it was a, a double homicide, but it wasn't. It was a homicide, yeah. suicide. Uh, just like really, 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 really messed up the details. And so that added tons of confusion. And a lot of people were like, Oh, well, two people must've come in and killed them. And who are they? And there's this, I ended up spending more time re-explaining these the failures of the police department's uh, reporting of the situation than almost any other detail of this whole thing. It was just a, a mess. But um, what the the mechanics of what happened are that he, he killed her and then killed himself. That's that's what happened. And the, and the gun was found at the scene, and that's a pretty pretty standard fare for that type of horrible situation. Um, but the why, that was the big, like, what the hell? Like, he loves her. Like, it doesn't make sense. Right. Um, they're actually happy together. Like, like I've I've never seen him happier, really. And uh, he had actually spent some Christmas with us. Um, um, I, I often take in stragglers who have nowhere to go for Christmas. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, come on, you stay with us. You know, hang out with us. You spend Christmas with us. And so they were happy. Um, I didn't get any sense at all that they were, you know, in troubled waters. But like as a couple, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. But, um, but there was this other thing going on and, um, I knew some of the details of what was happening, but certainly not enough of the details. There was, there was one critical piece of information I didn't have, but James was hallucinating. Yeah. Um, and when you take somebody as smart as James and as stoic as James, and then you add hallucinations on top of it. That is a recipe for disaster. Like I can f- fix this problem myself. I don't, you know, I don't need to trouble anyone else, you know, yeah. like this isn't that bad or whatever. That sort of mentality, which he definitely had, you know. He, uh, no, nobody wants to be crazy either, you know. And, and I yeah. think that to get help for hallucinations, you have to accept that you're having problems. And you your know? life is probably going to be irreparably changed. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and we, I think we now know. We, there's no way to verify this, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, but I think we now know it almost certainly was CTE. Mm. Um, the symptoms just fit perfectly. And for those who are not super familiar with what that is, it's it's basically something that football players and like kickboxers and boxers, a lot of people in the military um, who've been a shot a, one type of gun way too many uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> recoilless rifle way too many times in a day. <laughs> I didn't shoot all 23 rounds. <laughs> but if you get too many concussions, it can cause a degenerative brain disorder. And he had had a lot of concussions and, um, and one in particular that was a super, super bad one. When he was younger, he got hit so bad in the back of his head and he's in his twenties, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, he lost a sense of smell forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you add in that kind of trauma, plus he was getting additional trauma, like right and left. Like he, uh, he was, he had like really, really bad, um, uh, heat stroke, uh, a couple months before this all went down. Mm-hmm. And then immediately after that, he had multiple concussions related to a car accident. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of a thing where he was sort of out of the car and he kind of got bashed by the side of the car. And anyway, he just got, three concussions in a row, like 
front back ahead and then fell on the concrete. So third, uh, we think, right. Yeah. It's kind of hard to verify a lot of this information, but that seems, that's the story that seems to make the most sense. And, um, and then started, started actually having hallucinations related. To, I thought it was because, um, I, I did know he was hallucinating at one point, actually two points. One was immediately after that event, mm-hmm. immediately after that thing I just described, like he was just crazy. Like, yeah. um, and they actually had to institutionalize him for a week until he came, became normal again. Yeah. So that seems to me like an environmental thing, not a systemic thing. Right. So it, it made sense that he would be okay afterwards. Right. Yeah. He got <laughs> fucked up and yeah. he's having problems and it takes a week and yeah, he's better. Yeah. And he's better. Right? right. And then once when he was, uh, getting detoxing off of alcohol mm-hmm. and, uh, and hit the way he told me, is that yeah? I was I was having really bad hallucinations, but that's a thing that happens when you detox. Right. I'm like, oh well, that makes perfect sense. And two days later, you'll be fine, right? Except for that's not the only time he was hallucinating. So that was a very critical detail that I was not told. Um, I think I think it's worth also noting that like I don't know about visual hallucinations. I know that I know that there was a strong auditory yeah i think it was auditory as well yeah that's what i heard as well it's kind of weird that they are you wouldn't have both but i don't know yeah. but but he but yeah he believed that someone had called him um when he got in the car accident he believed that someone had called him and told them that shannon had died yeah. and he had it and he wanted to kill himself because his life was over kind of thing mm-hmm. um and he felt like someone was after her or some, something like that mm-hmm. Uh, and then the one that happened more recently, um, related to detox, also auditory, it was hearing things is what I, what is, I was told by both Shannon and him. Yeah. It was hearing things. So that was enough that, um, I actually took his guns away from him. Yeah. Um, on Shannon's request, I took his guns away from him. Um, she's like, I don't feel comfortable with him having access to him. I'm like, no problem. You know, and I'll give him back it at the point at which it makes sense. Right. And this isn't punitive. This is just making sure everyone's safe. Right. Mm-hmm. So I took it away and you know, a couple days later, James is fine as expected. Right. I mean, he's acting completely lucid like you are right now, just totally normal human being, you yeah. know, can hold on a conversation, acting normal, gained weight back. He looked healthy, you know, cause he was kind of a little thin there for a while. And, um, and no, he was not okay. Um, Shannon never told me uh, any additional details that he was still hallucinating. I only found that out later after after they had died. Um, and um, but yeah, he had been continuing having hallucinations. So yeah, when they found the body, uh, they both had COVID, and one of the f- last sets of messages he had sent out um, a day or so before this happened uh, was that he. <clears throat> he had been working like very crazy hours, like 80, 80 plus hours, which means he wasn't sleeping and he had suffered from really, really bad insomnia for years. Well, bad insomnia creates hallucinations. Mm-hmm. And so, so he's just like triple fucked, triple fucked. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then he lost an entire day. He had, a, um, and a diso- disassociative fugue of some sort. Mm-hmm. So he lost an entire day and he didn't know what happened. He had no idea. He was in the hospital at one point related to COVID. Um, and he was very, very, very scared of COVID. Like very, very worried. He was like the very last person I know who took their mask off. You know what I mean? This is, which is is kind of like uncharacteristic of him. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then something happened. 
um, later on, um, we had to go in and, you know, look at his computers and everything, try to, you know, get it, resurrect as much out of it as we possibly could, which was a huge fucking nightmare. Um, all for all kinds of reasons. Um, yeah, yeah, it's fucking riff. Um, you know, they hadn't cleaned the house properly yet and it was, pr- and they had, it had been about a week before they were found. Um, so the yeah. house was, you know, that was actually, um, pretty awful. That was actually a piece of fish had fallen behind the refrigerator. How was that? A- <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't, I, I don't think that the smell was them. Oh, well, so. that's nice to think that that's, yeah, they, whatever. They've, they've, they've pulled a rotten piece of fish out. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Let's hope that that, but anyway, it smelled really fucking bad. The, it was, the fish did. It was, but yeah. the whole house was, I mean, the entire house. Yes. Was, so yeah. anyway, um, they were still in the process of cleaning when yes. we got there. Um, and, um, but James couldn't smell anyway, so yeah. he wouldn't know if a piece of rotten fish was back there. <laughs> but, uh, but when we were looking at his computer, a couple things stuck out in my mind. One of which is some of the last photos he looked at was uh, Sarah. Yeah. Um, which means that, I mean, obviously, if if he was thinking about his sister and uh, her horrible situation, murder suicide as well, yeah. is there really any likelihood at all that he would do that intentionally? I mean, I don't. It just doesn't make sense. So I think I think what happened was, I think that he he killed Shannon, and I think there was a period in between him killing her and him killing himself, and I think that what we were seeing was that period of reflection before he killed himself. Because like there was, a, that's possible. There's a hole in the wall where he punched it. You know, you could see, you know, you could almost like as you're walking through the house, you can almost imagine, you know, the, the despair that, you know, he's now experiencing, you know. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. I mean, it's all speculation. but So one of two things are true. Either that um, he was, she was still alive when he was looking at those photos or not. But either way, yeah. it doesn't make sense that he would intentionally kill the person he loves. Enter just, my mind fuck. Right? Yeah. Because like, You've alluded to it, but just to say it explicitly, like my sister was murdered, right, by her husband who who then killed himself, and now my brother just murdered somebody and killed himself. When I think you guys, I mean, it, it's not just the the tragedy, which is like incalculably awful, right? Um. It's also the fact that you were on the, you were, you got, you had the ability, the moral high ground to be super upset with this asshole who killed your sister. Mm -hmm. And now you have to be this weird other foot where you have to apologize for something that James did to Shannon's family, or you don't have to, but you know, it's the right thing to do, you know, even though it has nothing to do with you and it's not your fault, but, um, it's, it's such a weird situation. You know, one other, one other quick yeah. point about this. So, I mean, James, it wasn't just that, that, um, 
his sister had died. That wasn't just it. He was also part of the process of kind of recovering her things. And, and so he had to go into her house, which had been covered, I think in mace or something. Uh, yeah. That was fucking horrible. Cause that the police had thought it was a, a hostage or a barricade situation. And so they, um, when they, before they tried to make entry into her house, um, they, they shot uh, pepper spray into, into all the windows and, and totally tried to gas them out before they went in. Right. And so he had to go in, and apparently it's like a dust. Um, so everything was covered yeah. in this dust. Yeah. And um, and I remember him talking about like how incredibly awful it was. I mean, in fact, he can't smell is probably one of the few times that's like a huge advantage. Um, but not really, you know, you're still coughing and, you know, your eyes watering and the whole thing and just miserable, everything itches and whatever. It's like um, It's like you're being violated because you're already emotional. And then, and then it's like, you don't know if you're crying because like you can't stop crying because you've been pepper sprayed essentially, or because you, you just, you're in an, in a horrible situation. Right. It's, it's, it's almost like it being violated. Like it's against your will, you know, that's, that's the, maybe the best way I could explain it. Yeah. So given the fact that he had gone through this horrible situation rescuing her computer or whatever he was after, right? And trying to get what he could out of her house that was sentimental. Um, it's, it's even a greater distance for me mentally to believe that he would intentionally kill Shannon. Right. And it wasn't a combination of hallucinations and stoicism. If, if he had been, if he had hallucinated and gotten help, I don't, we would not be here talking about this. Right. If he had not had hallucinations and been stoic. He would also be fine. He'd be alive today. Right. So it's really this combination. And like, I, for me, stoicism is a great crutch. Uh, it allows me to do a lot of um, mental processing without injecting my own emotion into it. I, I love stoicism. I'm a big fan of, of removing emotion from decision-making as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so obviously we're, we're human beings, right? We're all gonna, we're all gonna falter here and there, obviously, mm. but it, but I really like it. I think it, I think it fits with my personality as, as well as any philosophy could. Mm. He was very similar. He and I with very similar worldviews in that regard. Um, but when you're crazy, when you're literally crazy, mm. you don't get to do that. And had I known what I know now, I mean, I would have fucking sat on him. You know, I would not have let him out of my sight. I certainly wouldn't have given him his guns back. Right. I would not have. I, no, I would have been at his house every fucking day. I would have f- probably made a move in with me. Mm-hmm. I would have cleared out a room and basically he just lives with me now. That's the deal. Right. Um, and it sucks and he's going to hate it when he is lucid. He's going to hate it or whatever, you know, he's, you know, he loves me like a brother, but you know, still hate it because he's being babied. But but I don't give a shit because he's my friend and that's how it goes. Um, but I didn't know that. And so ah, it's just, it's very frustrating, you know, like you, like I'd love to say that like I did everything right, but I don't think I did. You know, I could have asked the additional question of Shannon. I could have said, Hey, are you sure 
it's okay, right? Are you sure you feel comfortable with this? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't do that. I didn't double check with her. I looked at James and he seemed lucid to me, mm-hmm. like totally lucid. And months went by and he was fine. But then, it, and then he wasn't. And so, uh, man, I think that'll, that'll eat at me forever. Um, it's probably not helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, right before, right before they, they died, like, I remember being on the phone with him and we're having, we're having this, uh, this conversation and I'm, and he just, it's just off, you know, like I know this, there was a period of time because James has always been kind of like a Titan, you know, like I looked up to him sure a lot, you know, well, he was your older brother at minimum. Right. But he was also well, a badass. Too. He's also this other thing. Yeah. Uh, kind of almost He's almost uh, a superhero or supervillain, one of the two. I don't, <laughs> I don't know which it is. I think he'd want to be the villain. But, <laughs> but that's what it. That's what it was. Is 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 I I I don't I never I don't think I put him on a pedestal. I I think that I I considered him for who he was, and he was an awesome person. Um. But the the months leading up to them them dying, I I started seeing him differently. I started like being on the phone with him or he came over, he came up and visited, visited my, my family in Colorado. And, um, and I started just seeing him differently. I, I started seeing him as vulnerable and, um, and I remember, I remember the, my last conversation on the phone with him. I was like, James, like, dude, like it's okay to take a break, man. Just if you need anything, please let me know. Cause it, 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 it was apparent that like, this wasn't James, you know, there was somebody else in there. Yeah. And I, and I thought it was cause he's, he's working a hundred hours a week or whatever. You yeah. Know? Well, it was actually more than 80. You're right. It was, yeah. it was closer to a hundred. And it's like, okay, well that's going to tear anybody down, you know? Well, it means he's not sleeping. Right. I think the mind fuck, the, the, the mind fuck that I'm talking about in all of this isn't that they, my, my siblings died or even in the way that they did. Right. It's in having to reconcile this idea of a killer, right? And and what is and you know, there I, I have these two murderers in my life, and I hate one of them, and I love the other one, and then I and then I and then I had to go revisit my sister dying, right? And rationalize like the mental illness of her spouse. Yeah. And then, and then you realize that, like, I think the, I think the world is much more, uh, maybe it's amoral than we want to think. There's no rhyme or reason to any of this shit. Like, you have sick people, and they do sick things. And, and at the end of the day, the person that killed my sister, it wasn't his fault. And I fucking hate saying that. Well, I only met your sister one time. Um, it was the same same time I first met you. So I guess you were whatever it was, 15 or something. That sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, she was a very, very sweet person. Mm. Um, I remember specifically I was playing with her cat and she was, the cat was just completely mauling me and it was fun. We were, we were kind of 
wrestling. The cat just loved fighting. I don't know. It was it was it was kind of like it was a big joke. Like everyone was kind of in on it. Like wow, this cat is very aggressive. <laughs> We're all kind of laughing because it was just going to town on everybody. Um, but anyway, it scratched the crap out of me and, um, like all over, like both arms, just bloody everywhere. But, but I didn't care because it was fun. Right. Uh, and the cat was having a blast. And so she came over and she had like this lavender oil and she's just like, you know, trying to patch Mm -hmm. me up as best she could. Uh, I was just like, I just remember at this very distinct moment going like, wow, she's just such a nice person. Like she didn't have to do that. Like it's my fault. You know, just here's some band-aids go fucking fix yourself. (laughs) That would have been my approach. (laughs) Why did you do that? Yes, exactly. So how do you feel like the, the family's taking it? Are they getting it better now? Some distance from it? Um, for me, I, I, I can't, I can't speak for my siblings. I mean, I mean, my, my oldest sibling is, still dealing with the legal implications of all this shit, right? Yeah. Or at least procedural. Yeah, probate. Yeah. Um my my other brother um you know, we we talk and then you can tell that it's it's affecting him. Um but for me and and of course um yeah, obviously as a parent, like I can't even imagine that happening to two of my children. Right. But for, for me, maybe I'm just not dealing with it yet. Maybe, maybe I'm not handling it right. But for me, it's like, I think let's just pretend that everybody's lost somebody, right? It doesn't have to be to murder, but like everybody's experienced loss, right? It's that feeling of, I want to call that. I want to call that person. Mm. And you look through your phone and you're just scrolling, you know, and, and you're looking for this number. Like, you know that you should call somebody. It's that, it's James, right? Like I, but he's not there. His number's not in my phone anymore, right? Like, that's a hole in your life. And so I'm, I'm kind of like dealing with this, this, the feeling and acknowledgement that I've experienced loss. But also on the other end, and it, and it sucks to say this, but like I have three kids, man. Like I have a whole fucking like life. I didn't die. No. You know, like my family's fine. Like I'm actually doing pretty fucking good. You know, so yes, I acknowledge I had a loss, right? And it's very significant. I mean, this is somebody who, like, all of my technical, like, crazy shit that I come up with or, you know, talk about. Like, he was my sounding board. You know, I, I always had a support in him. Kind of a shitty support because he's kind of an asshole, yeah, too, right? Yeah, huge asshole. God. <laughs> but, <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, I don't have that in my life. Um, that's very significant, obviously. But it's just like, and this is what it, it kind of feels bad. It's like, it's like I'm almost too busy to I don't want to say care but like I'm too I have to keep going yeah for sure and and it's frustrating because like I don't I don't know if I want to feel it more Hmm. but like it surprised me that I I haven't been feeling it like I would like I did with my sister or maybe I'm just used to it now maybe just people just get fucking murdered in my life you know um 
it's a little dramatic, obviously not the case, but like, I, I think there is a little bit of conditioning, you know, like this, this has happened once before in my life. Yeah, sure. And so like, and so I know you asked about the family. I can't really speak for them. Yeah, that's fair. But that's, that's kind of like my experience. <clears throat> I remember when I was, when we were going into the house. Um, one other thing that was very odd is, uh, James is one of those people who is a computer security expert, like at, at a level that no one's really an expert. Like he's just at this whole other level. Godlike. Yeah. Yes. And um, I remember I was, was talking to your mom on the way in. I'm like, I just want to be super clear here. There's a very little chance I'm going to get into anything. Yeah. That's like, fucking weird. Yeah. Like uh, approaching zero. Yeah. I mean, I, it may not be exactly zero cause you know, you never know, but let's just, let's just not get our hopes up kind of deal. And she grabbed me about as hard as I think she can grab somebody <laughs> for being old woman. She just grabbed me and she's like, Robert, like, we've been praying for you. I've had the whole church praying for you. You're going to get in. I'm like, I don't feel like you heard anything I just said. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I was like, Oh, I don't want to let her down. But at the same time, it's just not practical. Right. Yeah, I like you know? fairy tales too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But we get in there and sure as shit, it is unlocked. The whole fucking computer is, you move the mouse, right? And it was like. It was on. Yeah. Which, there's no way, zero chance he did that. He took the password off. He took the password yeah. off. Well, that, because he had been, he had been essentially our, what's the term, archivist? Yeah. Like, he had all of our family pictures, and I, I think that he knew that if he didn't do that, we were never going to access those things. See, the other thing that might have happened uh and i think it's more likely and i just wish i had had more time with the computer unfortunately we, we have a very limited time frame with the computer but it's also possible he um he would he'd have had any memory problems he was yeah. saying he had he had forgotten his password that he had known for over a year not to us he didn't said it to you or i but he said it to some another mutual friend and um and that's very unlike james mm-hmm but if you're somebody who starts forgetting your passwords, you might take the password off because you don't want to accidentally lock yourself out when you're trying to get into your, your system or whatever. And so that also would have, I would classify as a symptom. And by the way, it is a symptom of CTE. Mm-hmm. So um, I was just fucking weird. But I think this kind of bridges into the next part of the conversation. So one of the things as you were sitting there that you and I had been talking for days at this point and or whatever, how long or however long I had been. Can we just talk about how strange that was? Because like you were a known per- personality, right? In, in my life, but we never talked. Not really like, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, Hey, how's it going? No, kind no, of we, had, we had, had f- at least one phone call like a month or two earlier. As a matter of fact, y- yes, <laughs> but that that's not not i not like right not like yeah now. not like now I, yeah, I agree and so so having these conversations that you're talking about that entire experience of of being immersed with you was just was just and under the, the circumstances was really really strange for me yeah and stre- very stressful yeah a lot going on but we had been talking about technology and and some of the stuff you're you were working on and um I wouldn't say it was going in one ear and out the other. I would not say that. I was paying attention. I also had other things yeah, going on. You know, there's this tragedy in the background. Suicide, yeah. 
uh, and, you know, and all the logistics with getting the family here and, you know, the computers and, you know, the other family and, you know, everything, right? It was just a lot of logistics and a lot happening really quickly. So we were talking and it was hitting my brain, but it wasn't really like working on my brain. And you were talking about graph theory and about this stuff. And I'm like, okay, I understand what you're talking about. And I, I can even see some practical applications for it, but uh, you know, just, it kind of just was floating in the back of my head. Mm -hmm. But when we were going through his computer, um, everything was all over the place. Like there was no rhyme or reason to how anything was named, where it was located. It was just fucking everywhere. It It was was exactly like my computer. (laughs) (laughs) It was an absolute disaster. But I remember you made some offhand comment and this is what, I guess, turned the ignition on your idea and actually like made it come to life. You're like, I'm never going to leave my computer like this for my family. Yeah. And when you said that, I'm just like, oh my God, I need to really actually pay attention to this and really doing some research. So I asked you some questions, some following questions over Mm. the next day or two. And we started, you know, kind of conversing a little bit more about it. I started doing my own research and started kind of tying it into some bigger things I'd working on. And I got to tell you, I think graph theory is one of the most interesting things, period, in computers, like, going on, period. I have a theory about this, and okay. I don't think it's going to be a very popular opinion. Okay. So, <laughs> so well, go ahead. Oh, um, sure. okay. All right. So... AI is super significant, right? Like, right, right. It's redefining. I've heard about it. Yeah, we we know about (laughs) it. Um, And I think quantum computing is going to become as significant as as AI. I don't don't think we're there yet, but I think that that's going to be a thing. I think IBM thinks so too. Um, I've had a couple of guys do quantum on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I was just saying, cause IBM had some breakthrough. I can't remember. There's it was, always a breakthrough. It was, it was this week. Yeah, it was really big. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so, so I think, and there's some other metaphysical things that I, we, we don't have to go into, but I think that semantic technologies is equivalent to the profundity of these other technologies. Yeah. I 100% agree. I don't think that that's controversial. Really? No. I think, I think, well, at least not to me, because mm. I feel like you have, um, hmm, how, how would I, so if, if you don't have a good sense of what your data looks like, I would, I would put this, I would categorize this with any sort of data science. Whenever I'm looking at this massive pile of data, which happens to me pretty regularly, as a matter of fact, for various projects or whatever, I'm usually looking at a minimum gigs of ugly, messy data. And now I have to spend an inordinate amount of time just shaping the data. First, I got to analyze the data, understand what it is. And I have some assumptions about the data. I write some preliminary scripts to see if I'm right, see what falls out and says, nope, it doesn't meet the pattern that you'd expect. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I, I made some bad assumptions. Refine, refine, refine. There might be hundreds of refinements until you finally get it to the point where this finally passes all of the checks, right? It's like, oh, thank God, I can finally process the data. But then you got to get it into something. 
and it might as well be a graph theory database or graph database rather, or, you know, just some JSON blobs or, you know, maybe it's a binary sorted tree or whatever. You have to get it into another format because it's usually not in the right format when it comes in. A lot of raw logs are, you know, just line delimited and, and then under in the line, they're like space delimited or comma delimited, but only sometimes. And, you know, like so your commas can be in the thing, but they're not quoted. And so you got to like count the commas and like, it's all just a mess. It's like a heuristic a, nightmare. Like, like a hot, hot, hot mess. Yeah. And so you end up doing a ton of work or maybe even just saying, I'm okay with losing a certain percentage of the data. I'm just okay with that. Because what, what I don't want to like risk losing all the data to try to find the one thing. You know what I mean? So, um, which, you know, causes all kinds of downstream problems. So I don't think graph theory as a precursor to doing AI well is at all surprising in any shape or form with the exception of the fact that I think graph theory is a intermediary to what the actual data would look like before you hand it off. So like a, a vector database, for instance. <clears throat> so you start with graph theory, uh, graph database, mm. turn it into a vector database, and then fire it off like a rag or whatever. So what's the difference between the graph? I'm thinking about like embedding, right? So like you have, you have a graph and then there's different embedding techniques where you can preserve the gra the graph. Right. And so you wouldn't use like a, what is it? Text to um, text to vec or whatever. Yeah, like you, you wouldn't use those because it's not going to preserve the the structure of the graph in, in the in the vec in the vector state. Sure. So then, like you'd have. So you wouldn't use that, but you would yeah. probably use something. Mm -hmm. You're probably not going to go straight graph. I would assume, because it's not very performant is really what it comes down to, and also, <clears throat> what you don't. Yeah. Well, I guess that's that really is the primary concern. It's performance, yeah. because if I need to find the thing, sure, I can pull in real time the data I want, but real time is going to be slow because I got to search through all of the nodes to find if there's anything referencing anywhere that might be of interest to whatever I'm talking about. Cause it might be misspellings or it's not linked properly or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But if it's in a vector database, you can more accurately find all of those weird hidden nodes. Um, theoretically anyway. Um, but, um, this comes down to, I think we talked about this a little bit offline. Um, what I think of more as a system one versus system two thinking, right? That's much more of a system two where you're like, I'm willing to traverse an entire graph and literally hit every single node to find out what every, anything that might contain something I'm interested about the topic. And that might take 10 minutes to get a response back, but then you have exact perfect match. That's exactly correct. Um, I'm okay with a system two process taking as much time as it needs to go get the correct decision. But a system one <clears throat> needs to be basically instantaneous. Mm -hmm. And that's where a vector database comes in. Um, where I'm like, yeah, I'm willing to miss some stuff here and there. Yeah, I'm not going to get exactly the right data, but I need a quick answer to this problem right now. Like, should I apply the brakes now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but rerouting me, you know, to another destination because there's some traffic up ahead, I can wait you know, five seconds for that. There's a shitload in, yeah. in, in, in this, uh, yeah, there is good grief. So how about, how about we start simple for those who have no idea what we're talking about? Mm. What is graph theory? 
What is a graph database? Mm. I, um, I think I get in trouble sometimes with this because like, I try to look at like the, the mathematical like concept of what a graph is. Right. And then like why that's relevant. But then I also, you know, think about, um, like what is a graph? Like how, uh, you know, um, like the practical applications of, of this, right? So, hmm. what is graph? Well, this how is, I, this, I don't even know how to define, I mean, you can go on Wikipedia and get a definition for what <laughs> graph theory is, right? <laughs> I think we're, we're talking about it though in, in, in A, how is it relevant to James? Or, or just use utility in general, yeah. and it doesn't have to be James. Interesting. Well, so here, let me take a stab, having not read the Wikipedia definition of graph theory yeah. or a graph database. Um, I see it as, it's it's a tree, usually, not always, mm-hmm. um, where all of the all of the nodes within the tree are somehow linked to one another, mm-hmm. somehow. Maybe a distant, distant leaf, but they're still somehow connected. So like an example would be like my life. So if I want to build a digital agent or a digital twin of myself for something, I'd say the, the, the core of the tree is me, right? That's the trunk of the tree is me. And then off of that, I have relationships or I have uh, my job or, you know, I have my accountant's stuff that I need to send them for tax season or whatever. Like these are different branches that are going off that have, they're all related to me, but they're more related to each other. Like my family, like, you know, my fiance and my parents or something, that's, that's like one chunk of the, the graph that they don't really, they don't have anything to do with my tax issues. So keep them sort of separate, but together, but separate because they're different people and they're different nodes and with different leaves, what they have different birthdays, different heights, different weights, different, you know, political leanings or whatever, like right? these different things about them. All of that needs to be tracked and it's independent of one another, but it's still all linked back to me somehow. There are things I know, things I want to track about these people or, or issues or whatever. Hmm. And then I, th- the other thing about them is they can be interlinked. So you could have, um, you know, let's say you had a, a mother who had multiple children, like in your case, for instance. Hmm. So you are the core of the tree, your mom's, you know, a branch and siblings are, you know, nodes off that branch but they're also linked to you they're your siblings so you are directly connected to them as well mm-hmm. so they're all kind of interlinked and i think with that it much more approximates how humans actually think like we don't think about things as being big static lists you know i don't you don't put all of that information to a log file you could but that's not how people think about things you know i'm not just thinking i like who's my mother? My mother is whatever. And I put her in a log file and call it a day. Mm. That's not, that's just not how I think. That's not how anyone thinks. They think more about like, Oh, I'm related to this person or I met this person last week or what, like, what was the situation? Well, I was at this party who was there. And then that's more linkages. And you, it's all about the interconnectivity of the data. And that's what graph gives you. So I think I, I, I now understand why I didn't like your question. Okay. Um, 
because what you're talking about is an, a, an, a, an application of graph theory. Sure. We're not really defining graph theory at this point. We're just talking about how it's relevant. Yes, but if we don't discuss that, then I think we're going to lose people quickly. Yeah. Well, and, and, and so now that I know kind of like where you wanted to go with that, yeah, right? Yeah, like, sure. I feel like, yeah, I could talk for days on this now. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so, you know, to me, it's less about human cognition and more about, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, pertaining to the nature of reality i i think that that's the, the the core of graph theory to to me and why i give a shit about it right because like using graph theory and, and using um and I, I don't think it's just graph theory i think it's it's more of an under un, of an umbrella of semantic technologies but using these technologies we have access to modeling reality um and so, and so like you're saying, you, you know, you, you have expressions of family or whatever the concept is, right? And so it, using these semantic te technologies, we, we can, we can model these things. And what's really cool about this to me is that, um, this mug that you've so kindly, uh, provided for me. Your snake show mug, obviously. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so, so right, I can represent this mug with a graph. With with a semantic, um, as as a model, right? As a yes. as a three D model, mm -hmm. um, and and um, God, but you can also describe it as as a utility, something that has utility, something that has coordinal space. Mm. There's all these different ways to ascribe information to it, or cause it to be linked to things see that's not really graph theory though i think that's information theory i think that what you're talking about is dick w data information knowledge wisdom i think i think that graph theory provides us a mechanism of um i think it provides us a a mechanism of, of expressing those those things mm -hmm. yeah. so uh, yeah, I, yeah i think we're saying approximately the same thing uh, yeah um, but the interlinking part, I think is the big trick. So you want the knowledge graphs. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Knowledge graph in particular, because let's, I'll use a good example and then I'll throw, uh, a question at you. Um, the good example is let's say there's a note in the graph that needs to change. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm friends with all these people, but suddenly I'm not friends with this person over here for whatever reason. They stole my wallet or something. Right. How is that your friend in the first place? Exactly. And I feel bad that I was duped by them stealing my wallet. Well, it's not that um, the linkages aren't still there. The linkages are all still there. Mm. But the underlying thing, this this was f considered friend. It lived on the friend part of the graph, let's say. It now needs to go into the not friend part of the graph or whatever. Mm. And so all the links, if I wanted to go and update in every aspect of every single place that anything had ever discussed this person as friend, that would be a lot of work. That'd, that'd be a very onerous task to go back and figure it and, and update all those links. But if I do that inside, in, in a, uh, inside of a knowledge graph and I move it over, all the links automatically are updated. And now it just, by virtue of the software, right? So 
I no longer have to go back and revise and rethink through all the places I could have accidentally referenced this person as a friend mm. or whatever. It's sort of automatically, automatically sort of done for me. It's an edge. So, so that's the good news, mm-hmm. the bad news. And, um, I was actually talking with a guy overseas about this. He's like, I really, really like graph, um, knowledge graphs for all kinds of stuff. We, we use it internally for a bunch of different stuff we have our own. Uh, he's like, but one thing I haven't been able to figure out is how to cleanse the data. Mm-hmm. So if you have, uh, you know, Mrs. M I S S U S or whatever, Hillary Clinton or M S Hillary Clinton or, um, you know, president, um, candidate Hillary Clinton or whatever. There's all these different versions or misspellings or whatever, right? All these different versions. There's no clear, easy way to see all of those misspellings unless you search for Clinton and then, you know, H or Hillary Rodham and, you know, it got Rodham in the middle of it. Suddenly mm. it becomes extremely clunky. And, and he's like, I have to have a big team of people to just go back and sanitize stuff. Like, like, so it'll be like mountain St. Helens or MT St. Helens or MTST Helens or, you know, whatever. Right. There's all these different versions of the same word that end up becoming, um, pretty difficult to identify without already knowing that it's there, if that makes sense. So what do you, what do you think about that one? I don't like it. You don't like it? Nope. Why not? It's not that hard. Like, like Hillary Clinton is, is a node in the graph. Right. And then, and then we have links to Hillary Clinton, right? These were hashtags. I think he was referring to in particular, but yes. So in that case, yes. Yeah. So, so what we need to do here is is get all of our references to Hillary Clinton, right? And then, so this this is getting kind of like implementation specific, right? Like, so I, I have a I have a preferred way of doing this, um, and but what I think is is Mountain St Helens or Hillary Clinton, right? These are these are nodes on the graph; they have links to them, right? So you. Uh, we, we were talking about this earlier today. W- once you observe a node, or you know, once you once you observe that, then all the in, all relationships are known. You know. Yeah. And so I I, don't, I kind of don't understand the problem um, because we we can observe all the relationships in 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 our references to Hillary Clinton, right? Yes, except in this case, no, because they're only linking to themselves. So they'll like they'll have like a news article or something that's up. And so there's a bunch of tags or things linking to it. Hillary Rodham Clinton, but spelled mm. wrong, let's yeah. say. And it's linking to a, to a, to a, um, a news article or something and nothing else about no one else is linking to it in that way. So it's sort of this weird, like node that's kind of so far on the edge. They can't find it. Um, there's no, there's no other thing in there other than scraping every word. And that's impossible. It's just, clunky and slow and you know there's a bunch of reasons that they don't like doing it and they don't really know what they're searching for because they don't even know that that's a problem you yeah. know it's, it's sort of the opposite they're just sitting out there by itself one of the things that pisses me off is you have like established organizations right and i would expect that when i'm when i'm describing something or, or discussing it or referencing it i'm referencing that thing Right, but that's not how the world works on, or at least the internet, 
right? We never, we never refer to that one thing. We refer to that thing. Um, we, we represent it 20 times, right? And then, and then you lose the thing you were, there's no one thing you're talking about, right? We, I, 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 I describe Hillary Clinton over here, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And, and Hillary Clinton never in, in the internet has just one identity, right? She's not one note on a graph. She's a bunch of different people trying to describe her, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like this happens in companies a lot, right? Like where they have a product or something and marketing refers to that product in a certain way. And, the, you know, every department in that company, they're not talking about the same product. They're, they're using their own nomenclature, their own, you know, dis- descriptions of this thing. Um, and I, I think that's kind of what you're describing is that we need graphs that um, there's only ever one representation of, you know, an, an identity in, in the graph is um, what all references are made to, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think there's another kind of weird thing that's worth talking about in this regard. Mm-hmm. Um, so let, let's say I have sets of rules um, where you can, you can kind of, you can be overly, generous with these rules or overly rote with these rules. And so the one, the one I like to use is like, uh, let's say I'm going to go, um, I got to go pick up my kid at 5 PM at the school every day. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I could write that on the graph that could be there. That could be a rule that's, it's there or whatever. But what if I have a competing rule? Like the fact that the kid is not there on weekends. Mm-hmm. Right. So it it doesn't there's no kind of inherent way in the graph itself to have sort of competing like to know which one a prioritization of the nodes. I can't tell which one is more important just by looking at it. There's like other than a lot of links point to it, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um but but this is important because if uh, if I'm trying to build a a second brain, if I'm trying to build myself again, obviously I'm not going to show up on a holiday when the kid's not there obviously I'm uh, if the house is on fire, I'm going to prioritize the house getting put out over going and picking up the kid. Right. Um, And so what, what is the process of, of building up a rules engine on top of it? Cause it seems like the graph is certainly one part of it. Super duper duper important, but there's like this other thing. And I don't know if it lives in the graph or it's like a separate thing that kind of describes the, the sort of the cadence or importance of looking at rules or like, how do you, how do you think about that? I think everything should be in the graph. Um, every time that we, every time you do anything, I think that that should be recorded to the graph, um, including your references to the graph. Um, I don't, I'm I'm thinking about this um, as a um, I need a second to think about that because <laughs> I I've been very focused on rules right I've been very focused on on um, these expressions of data information uh, knowledge wisdom right so. 
a rule fits into one of those one of those categories and then maybe the answer is ai maybe 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 that's what you're talking about maybe you're talking about the processing of the graph and i think and i think that is ai so i, I don't so ai would sit on top uh, i would have a section of the graph for rules let's say um like here are my rules of life you know jordan peterson 12 years rules for life if yeah. i only had 12 let's say magic number right i could go and i could pull in that set of rules whatever my rules were and say here's how i prioritize them and go figure out which one I have to go do today. Do I have to clean my room today? Or is this a day that I don't have to clean my room because I actually have to go to work today? Or do I clean it up every day before I go to work? Like what, how do I prioritize my life around my rules and value systems? Mm -hmm. See, the other thing is I, I kind of run into this problem when I'm thinking about AI. I think if I'm going to create like a virtual version of me, one thing that isn't true is that I'm a static set set of rules. It's just not true. Like some days I'm just fucking lazy. I just want to like do nothing. And you know, I've, I've been working hard for like three months straight and I just want, I just want to do nothing all day. Mm. Other days, like I just want to, you know, have fun with the family and you know, it's a weekend we've had a hard week and I know, you know, everyone needs some attention and that's what we're going to do. Mm. Other days, I'm just like, I don't want to talk to anyone. I just, I need to get some work done. Like I am powering through things. Mm. So that's a varying set of weights upon the rules that is, for lack of a better term, despite the fact I like to be stoic, it's an emotional state that I'm in. Mm. I, I feel like I want to get some work done. I feel like being romantic. I feel like I am dead tired and hungover and I just want to sleep which it definitely is not right now, obviously. <laughs> I was say, are you talking about today? That's what happens when you party with the arsenic, snake, right? <laughs> um, so I think that a neural network, uh, when you're talking about like AI, um, when it's referencing a, a graph, a knowledge graph, and it's, and it's, and it's, um, Rag, like you said, right? Mm -hmm. I think that the neural network and the knowledge graph that it's referencing um, converges. So I think that that knowledge graph becomes an extension of the neural network. So if that's the case, um, the neur the neurons have to have pretty real time information. So am I constantly upgrading the graph with my mood today? Like today's mood gra graph or, or like nodes, a set of nodes or something? Is that how that would have to work? Because if, if I am an emotional mess today and I just want to like do nothing or whatever, you mm -hmm. know, have a good cry on the couch or something, you know, that's a very different state and different rules would apply, right? But what do you want from, what do you want from, what do you want the, I think we're talking about a, an agent right now. So what do you want the agent to do when you're feeling like that? Um, well, it, it certainly depends on the day and situation, right? Mm -hmm. But if I'm going to have it optimize my life, which I think is usually what people use agents for, um, or at least second brain version of agents, mm -hmm. um, then I would basically have a task to do to 
um, A, complete tasks that it can complete on my behalf, which would be great. Uh, but B, coordinate my life to be as efficient for the thing I am trying to do. So if I am trying to sit on the couch and do nothing, that is what I'm trying to do. Like shut off my phone. I don't want to talk to anybody. Like just let me leave yeah. me alone. I'm, I want to watch this Hallmark movie or something, whatever, whatever, whatever. You do that? Do. No, I'm oh. just using examples okay. here. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. This, all this is hypothetical. Uh, but, but let's say I want to like just power through a bunch of stuff, mm. you know, like, like I, I have, you know, 20 projects I'm working on and I just, uh, it's all confusing because a lot of things are going, a lot of people are trying to get in touch with me. I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. Great. Prioritize the things that need to be done in a certain order, right? But that's that's a different, that's a totally different set of prioritization systems that I would use in that scenario. I would hyper-optimize to be as efficient as possible for work, for yeah, work. Yeah. But if I'm on vacation, right, I'm not sitting on the couch, I am not working, but right. I'm doing something else. Like optimize me for having a great time with, you know, with my buddies if I'm out with buddies or if I'm with my family, you know, make it, you know, PG rated or whatever. So there's a couple of ways this, this could play out. I think like you're going to have to signal to your agent, like what you're doing, right? It, it, it can't read your mind yet, but so, so you're going to have to say like, Hey agent, you know, I'm feeling kind of lazy today. I ain't doing shit. Do not disturb. Go pay my bills. Right. Not you, the agent. Right. Yeah. So that's one way of thinking about it. Like you, you, you were going to have to communicate where we're at right like get your emotion wheel out you know yeah. and you know <laughs> but there's another i think there's a, a more advanced way of doing that and that's in um uh sensor data so like where are you and when i say where are you i mean in every sense right in time space being you know right and so you know maybe 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 the agent is subscribed to your, I don't know, they have like a ring or something that monitors you sure. or smart watch or I don't know. Yeah, cameras on you. or Yeah, or, you know, your behavior with your, your phone or, and then. But, but, also, but also like the text messages you send and emails you get and what your calendar looks like and what day of the week it is and what the weather looks like and a million other variables. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. So, so now you're still signaling to your agent, but it's passive, right? But it's, it's subscribing to all these things that at the end of the day look really similar to the emotion wheel that you communicated where you're at in life, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so I think that I kind of joked a little bit about um, uh, read your mind yet, right? Maybe it'll read our mind sometime, but I think that just using all these passive references to us, I think that you could, I think you get pretty close to figuring out what, what you're trying to do. Yeah, I think so too. But also, I'm of mixed mind about this. I wrote an entire book on the topic of being able to read signals through internet telemetry, mm -hmm. right? To, to get people's, to sense whether they're trying to attack the site, like even before it happens. Um, and it's to this day, I still think it it is incredibly good at doing that. Like this, the types of things you can get from just little things within the first 100 packets or so, which mm. is the original name of that book. Now it's called Detecting Mouse, which is free. Anyone can download it. Um, but the problem with it is 
Yes, but they could also just be hackers who are just hackers and they're not interested in you. They're, you just happen to be in their eyeline as they're walking around different websites. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're, they are hackers, but they don't have any malice towards me specifically. Mm-hmm. So if you're not getting some sort of self-reporting from them, which they can lie on, obviously, but if it's you, if you're tra- talking to your own digital agent, there's not a lot of upside in lying to something that's there to help you in whatever direct dimension you need help that day. Mm. Right. The exceptions to that are if it is coded to, you know, sense that I'm in danger, I'm going to endanger myself. For instance, I might hide that fact, you know, a James, for instance, Mm. or a situation where, you know, I want to do an illegal activity and it's designed to not allow me to do illegal activities. Right. So barring all of that, Mm. and I just really just want to, you know, chillax on my couch all day. I'm pretty sure it can use both the sensor data you're talking about, but also trend data. It's like, you've been running hard. You've been going, giving you recommendations. You've been running hard and it's about time you take a little bit of a breather. Yeah. Like that could get very useful. It's like, Hey, you know what? I am kind of feeling burnt out. It's like, yeah, you need some rest and relaxation. We need to talk about, uh, th- there's this great book that you've never heard of that you should definitely read, yeah. uh, you know, kind of getting you back into fighting shape again. I mean, I, I was, I kind of was, was t- saying um, the, the horoscope comment when we were talking earlier. So yeah, throw your, throw your horoscope in there too, right? Like yeah. it can give you recommendations based on all sorts of shit. Right. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. I, I really like, My goal with all of this is to get rid of my computer and my cell phone. Like, I fucking hate those devices. Mm. Like, it's just the most inefficient interface, you know, like, and they they try to, like, help you a little bit. Like, What, they, do, you, what are you thinking, Neuralink? Like, how would you interact with it? Yeah, I don't think you need that, though. Like, I think it's, like, what you're talking about. Like, you're just going through life and you have a digital twin, right? You have this agent that's y- you abstracting all the shit you don't want to do away from you. So you just get to go live your pure life, you know, absent all you, all of these uh, things that we're encumbered by. And I think there's a, there's a way and I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent. Like I, I go crazy with this shit. Like I'll use like assistive devices to like for alternate input and stuff. So I can like walk around and be on my computer or whatever. I don't like talking to my, computer would you imagine this digital twin would eventually be embodied or are you thinking more like it's a bunch of cameras that are you just say what you want and it goes and does it i think it's like putting on your your jacket or something or your pants or something okay so it's a digital it's a wearable of some kind i don't know yeah yeah i mean or or if you want to go the route you're saying like you can just be under surveillance your entire life but i mean it's the same I mean, is that any different? Yeah. I mean, if something's monitoring my heart rate and whether I'm sexually attracted to somebody, you know, which a clothing absolutely can do, is that better than having cameras on you? (laughs) I'm not sure it is. More invasive, actually. I think it's worse. Yeah. yeah, If anything. But the the point is, is that like, I want to get to a place with technology where we are essentially, uh, what is it? Cyborgs or, Mm -hmm. yeah, like a, a complete integration mm-hmm. and, and, and it, it, those interactions become so intuitive that we're just living our lives. 
you know. I don't know. Like yeah, but robot, you s- it's an iRobot. <laughs> it's an iRobot. <laughs> um, that's JC, by the way, for those listening. Uh, he is our new producer. Um, Chris is off making movies in Pennsylvania. What's what producers will do? They'll leave you for movies. I guess I'm not good enough. Can he come back? He can. He could. Okay. He's allowed back in okay. Texas. <laughs> we didn't run him out at high noon. Um, no. But um, okay, I think th- this is probably a good time to talk about UOR as well mm. uh, because I think this is gonna. So first of all, could you explain a quick primer on what that is? Oh uh, shit. Come on, quick. You want, you want the three-hour version, right? No, I want the... <laughs> give me a couple paragraphs. All right, UOR is a semantic technology that I discovered two years ago. I say discovered, I made it up. Um, but um, it stands... The acronym UOR stands for Universal Object Reference. And um, through developing the concept and and thinking on it for the past two years, I've, I've realized that um, I th- think it's best implemented as a declarative programming language. Um, so what UOR would do is um, allow us to interact with knowledge, knowledge graphs at like internet scale. So my goal is to, with UOR, to transform the internet from a network of networks to a knowledge graph where every artifact within that information system is uh, a node or an edge on that graph. I just realized you could probably short circuit and build this very rapidly. If you went through common crawl, you could just build it. You could just have the entire internet on an OR uh, pointers anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to create the whole thing and, a gigantic graph, although you could, it's just expensive. It's just big, but you could, uh, you could process all the work files from common crawl and, uh, you could, you could actually just short short circuit and already have it. Yeah. I mean, there's already huge knowledge graphs on the internet. Like, I mean, this would be, this would be the, the internet or at least all the crawled internet. Yeah. I mean, they're already in, you know, developers sites or whatever that are encouraged to include RDF, you know, expressions within within their applications, you know, that help build that knowledge graph. Well, certainly Google's working on this um, to some degree. Um, they, they want people to embed this little piece of um, code on every single website effectively mm-hmm. that effectively tells Google who the author is, yeah. what, what their name is, what their age is, all the websites they've ever created, and it's basically you end up creating the the internet all in like like a header. Mm-hmm. It's like like it can go forever. It's yeah. it's a graph database within every single piece of HTML. It's just incredibly inefficient, inefficient, yeah. very stupid design. And the people who I I know who know the most about it and and focus on this constantly think it's just a big pile of shit. Yeah. But it's Google's pile of shit, so you kind of have to respect it and do it. You know what I mean? Um, but. If, if any company could come out of the gate with it, like right away, mm. they're the one because they've been processing this data forever um, about who owns what, who who made what, uh, how who it belongs to, copyright, when the last update time was and all this junk, right? Yeah. But um, 
So back to the agent for a second, um, or digital twin, I think is a better way to phrase this in this context. How does that help me? Like mm-hmm. knowing knowing where everything is at internet scale, like how how does my how does my digital twin take advantage of that? Well, so I'm not just talking about RDF, right? I'm not talking about just like you know these these links, and you can look at you know the relationship between things on the internet. Like that's that's helpful, and that's that is an element of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But you know when you when you when you start conceptualizing it as, as a declarative programming language. There's runtime considerations, right? Um, there's 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 this ability to make tangible and intangible expressions. Um, there's like I, like I was saying, like data, information, knowledge, and wisdom. Like we can we can make expressions of, for each of those in in the graph. And so, um, when it comes to the digital twin, right? You need AI for this, obviously. So what we what we want to do is we want to do have a graph that that the context of that knowledge graph is, you know, everything that's relational to you, right? And then and then you want that in the context of the internet, so because that's kind of like where we're at, you know, you and I sitting on planet Earth, you know, um, so. You, you want to be, it's a discrete dynamical system. You know, like that's, that's kind of how I, um, that's my favorite like jargon, jargony way of saying, of saying like, um, everything in that graph is relational to everything else in the graph. And yeah. So one example of, of a use case, it's not so much, uh, the the internet the 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 dynamic internet at large right mm. it's more about everything that I have seen so one of one of my friends was, was like I have like thirty years of being on the internet or whatever it's been right mm. and I have seen you know call it half a million different articles or whatever the number is some crazy huge number because mm-hmm. he spends a lot of time online <clears throat> um I would like to I remember an article. I remember something important about that article. There's no way to find that article. You'll never get to it. You'll never find it. Right. Um, but if you're only looking through the data you've looked at, if you're only looking at files, websites, movies, images, CSS, objects, whatever, that you have looked at. Mm. If only you had that history. If only it had the history. Mm-hmm. Because then you could do that. Yeah. I mean, it, w- it might still be a clunky query or whatever, but that's where AI comes in handy. Yeah. And can go, look here is the point of this article. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it was Sentiment. written approximately around this time frame, mm-hmm. and kind of just narrow and narrow and narrow. And there it is. Yeah. You, you'd address, you'd address that article by sentiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it could create auto hashtags for you or whatever. So eventually if you ever want to go back and build a graph on top of all of that stuff, it's sort of pre-built. Mm-hmm. It's there. So, This is where I start getting in trouble, right? Because like we're talking about the the archival capabilities of semantic technologies, yeah, right. But there's like, I'm also talking about like there exists a GPS sensor. I don't know, like an at- maybe an atomic clock, right? Mm-hmm. And this thing exists somewhere within an information system, right? And 
using UOR, which is graphs, right? I can I can address I, I can I can reach out to that that atomic clock and I can interact with it, right? Like I'm I'm all these interactions are based on graph theory, right? Like what what UOR is doing is is rendering reality or it's expressing reality, and so this the reason I say to to, to a degree mm. to a degree I don't like it. Well, yeah, but you have to, to, to do reality, you have to have, you basically have to stop time. First of all, you're not going to do that. No. Why do you have to stop time? Simple piece of math. Reality equals one over time. Um, you can't, you can't render reality at any frequency other than in its current state. But that's Uh, what a dynamical system is though. Because you have you have you have temporal and spatial. Yeah, but but you got to do it down to the atomic if you're going to do it. You can't. You can't do it. That's what I'm doing. You can't do it. You need you need a system bigger than the system itself to do it. Mm. It's it's not possible. That this goes back to um, um, Laplace's demon. Laplace's demon, where yes, you could model the universe. You could do it, mm-hmm. but you need a calculator bigger than the size of the universe to do it. Yeah. Um, but the cool part about Laplace's demon is, you could, if you were on one side of the universe. And there's an alien, let's say, on the other side of the universe where you would, there's no way ever you would have ever interacted at any point after like the explosion after the Big Bang or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you're causally unconnected at this point. You're, mm-hmm. There's no way to ever get data to them. The universe is expanding so fast, the light will never reach them ever. Yeah. Using Laplace's demon, I could still have a conversation with them because I would know exactly what they're typing on their computer. Um, so that, that's a really cool idea, just totally impractical because you can't, you'd have to model every single atom and, and not just that it was there, but also it's speed and movement and it's vibrating and whatever. It's just impossible, but you could, you could model something less to, to use. It's kind of a, it's a poorly used word in this context, less atomic and more atomic in the sense that it's a singular unit of an, of a cup. Like you could measure all the cups in the room. Like that would be easy. You don't like it. I don't like it. Why? Nope. Why? Um, so we, we were talking about graph theory, right? And then like oh. this cup is a model, right? It's a three, like a 3d model. Think about like, you know, mm-hmm. A, a graph that, you know. So what I want to build with UOR is a fucking Star Trek replicator, right? Like I can I can render any model using UOR from a single API. I know this is, sounds insane, right? I'm not there yet. This is my you're, pipe dream. Well, you're not there for multiple reasons because what you said is that's a cup, but actually that's just a cloud of atoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you rendering something that looks like a cup, something you can render that is cup-ish? cup-like, but not that cup. You're not literally having the exact same position of all those atoms. Yeah, that's fair. You know um, what I mean? I think there's a, what is it, a, a fidelity problem? Yes. Um, but I think that we can render cups is, 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 my, is the premise of what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. So let's say... Um, Back to your atomic clock, which is actually an interesting use case because what what exactly are you modeling? 
of an atomic clock other than its output. Well, it's 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 being able to reference and interact with like its API, for instance. Uh, ah, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So to that to that extent, I think one of the coolest things about um, ChatGPT and and some of the implementations. Um, I'm spacing on the name. There's some libraries for Python for connecting Langchain. Thank Lang you. Chain, yeah. ah, just almost missed that word uh, for connecting through external APIs and whatever. Mm -hmm. Like there's a pretty big distance between everything being API eyesed. So it's just plug and play. Mm -hmm. um, but I know it's the race is on. Everybody wants to do that now. If you have an API, you better make it very easy for ChatGPT to go scrape and use and whatever, or or whatever, mm -hmm. like chain and whatever we're talking about, local models especially, because all these enterprises and all these people working in their homes, they're going to want to be able to you know book a dentist appointment without having to call up the dentist and ask and all this crap. Like all that needs to go away. Yeah. But um, some of my friends. Uh, they don't believe, and I, I'm I'm on the fence a little bit about this, but they they think developers are the enemy. They're like, well, they are, but well, they think they're the enemy. Because I'm just kidding. All I'm sorry, developers. <laughs> they think they're the enemy because they believe that they can do it better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Instead of just all unifying on one authentication system, one registration system that we all use, and that's it, and completely remove styling. Like, I'm sorry, you don't get to put your banner and make it float around and jump or whatever. Sorry. Mm. You just don't get to do that. If we can routinize things, and I'm not saying to that degree because I don't think it's necessary, but if we at least can do that with APIs where I'm sorry, you don't get to name your, your library, something, something bizarre. It's got to be something that an agent can go and scrape and understand. You know what I mean? Isn't, th isn't that op open API though? Isn't what open API? What you're talking about, like I, I, Swagger turned it. I think it turned into open API. Yeah, I see. Um, sort of. I've seen Swagger documentation that's pretty horrible. Yeah. Um, mm. That this it's just not clear what this function does, or it's wrong. That's that's another thing that happens yeah. pretty frequently. But uh, but at minimum, making it so it's just dead simple for um, agents to go and scrape and figure out what the fuck's going on and and interact with them. I think that's the, it's the gold rush. Yeah. Like everyone's just pushing really hard. And if you're like eBay or something and your API isn't like dead simple for someone to go say, Hey, find me a couch right now and just buy it for, I don't want to spend more than 30 bucks or whatever. Done. <laughs> yeah. Like that should just be dead simple, really easy to do. Um, I like it. You know what I mean? There, I like something. Robert. You like I that. Like it. Yes. Yeah. You like something. Oh, it's so hard to get people to like my ideas. <laughs> well, I so maybe maybe Open API needs a a, a version, right? Uh, that's more um, specific as to you know it relies less on convention and, and more on on standardization. But mm -hmm. it kind of I get I get criticized a lot with UOR um, for this in the same way. It's um it's this draconian. Right, like one the the X what is it um the the computer memes the XCD oh uh, XKCD XKCD yes word yeah it's uh there's a joke right about 
and here yet another standard, right? Yeah. And then um it's like we need a standard for this standard. We yeah. gotta re-standardize this thing. <laughs> so there's a I think there's a lot of repulsion when it comes to standardization. I think it's weird because like I'm a I'm a standardization like nerd. I love standardization. Um every time we talk about standardization, I whip out my wallet and um appreciate my uh credit card size because <laughs> you know because like your id is the same size yeah yeah um i wish we had more standardization but i think i think people are repulsed by it i think they think i think that represents a loss of freedom yeah, it's stymies stymies creativity is i think the the concern that if i'm speaking for the developers who are speaking against my friends about this like yeah but Mike's site's cool and because it's cool people use it they like it and I make more money and so that's why I make it cool and if every if every site looked exactly the same you'd be screwed I did this one wasn't an experiment I almost called an experiment it was not this was an emergency situation I had an employee who left uh and they had something like 150 or so different um different uh social profiles that I had to go change the password on and how many? I think 150. There's a lot. There's like Jewish singles dot info. You know, there's all these weird social websites out there, um, like really tiny ones. But um, it's important to have accounts on all of them. So you have backlinks to your website, helps your SEO. Anyway, mm. I needed to go change the password on all these things. And the amount of different ways those sites were constructed is unfathomable. Mm. And it, like, there were some that were pretty much the same, like a handful, but like basically none were the same. Like sometimes you, you log in, you have to change password. Where's the change password thing? Well, sometimes it's an icon of the person. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a little like thing that kind of looks like a head. Sometimes it's the word profile. Sometimes it's change password. Sometimes it's a link to another web site. You mm -hmm. have to log into a whole other website. Sometimes it requires your old password and a new password. Sometimes yeah. it just needs a new password. Sometimes it, you have to scroll for half an hour because there's all this configuration profile stuff. Like every one of them was different. And mm. it was very frustrating because I'm, a, I would say, extremely savvy web security person. So you'd think I'd be able to navigate these sites very easily. But it turned out some of them, I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I literally couldn't do it. There's a handful, probably three or four. I literally could not figure out how to change my password. I think I drew the wrong conclusion from this. Fuck passwords. <laughs> That's not where you're going with that. <laughs> well, maybe yes, actually, but uh, but at minimum, I think it proves the point that that the developers are the problem in this context. Like mm. they're not. Like if you really weren't very savvy and didn't know how or where what to do, I don't have no idea how you had done that exercise. I really mm. and and still there was three or four that I just was not able to do it on. I just never did find wherever the change password was ever. Do you, never, know, do you know who could do it? A completely untrained teenage girl. <laughs> <laughs> it, the, Hiring an intern would have doubled my problems. <laughs> the, the, I, I'm a technologist, right? And whenever I'm interacting with technology, it, it always becomes apparent to how fucking bad I am at it and then I'll, and I'll look at it you know at my partner or somebody else i'm just like you're not a technologist and you're way better at this it's it's intuitive i think that our understanding of technology it, like works against us in the, in some of these situations like you we expect things to be this way 
right? Or mm-hmm. we understand we have we already we 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 walk in with a certain expectation or or frame of mind um, that I think that regular computer users um, they don't have. I think I think their their experience is more intuitive. Unfortunately, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and the one piece of evidence I have for myself on this is I usually go to a website and assume it's secure. I don't know why. I have absolutely no idea why. What? I I I know. <laughs> Every time. Isn't that like completely backwards? I, I, I understand, but it's... Um, I can't explain why it occurs, but every time I go to a website that I've never been to before, I assume it's secure when I get there. Okay. And then I see anything that's wrong. Like one pixel off. I'm like, Oh, I I bet I could break in the site or the copyrights out of date. I bet I could break it. Spelling error. If Mm. I see, you know, SL's certificate error, or if I see anything like some ODBC error kind of popping up somewhere, anything, anything, anything. If it's loading weird, like not in the right order that you'd expect it to or whatever. I'm like, Oh yeah, I I see how the sites, I can tell how they built this site and I know how I break into it now. Um, I can probably tell the framework just by like glancing at the homepage. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't, I don't know why, but, but both of those things are bad assumptions. If you think about it, Mm-hmm. The fact that it's secure, what, where, where, where the, why? Uh, like, it, I don't think anything's secure, so that's why I'm so surprised. Yeah, yeah, but but also there's there is no expectation that I'm going to be able to break into this website. I mean, they might have done everything right. It's not, it's never happened, but it could happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, actually, technically, it did happen with one customer one time, and then they changed their website to Drupal, and I broke in. <laughs> <laughs> what a pain in the ass. Um, but. Um, I wish I could tell you more about that because uh, the the guy who ran that company ended up being extremely famous. Um, but um, anyway, so I think that there is weird assumptions when you get to this level mm-hmm. and uh, you have a certain filter that you're putting everything through. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what your filter looks like based on the fact that you focus more on this than I do. Um, or maybe these days I'm doing it about the same, but not for as long for surely. Um, for sure, rather. It's um. So how how do you think of how do you think about it when you're looking at web applications when you're looking at, um. I would call it the mess of the internet. Are yeah. you thinking this whole thing needs a rewrite? Is that really where you're going with Seriously. this? Seriously, no, it's no, all, but but yeah. but but bear with me. Mm. Do you really mean that you think that everything should be rewritten or are you thinking there's got to be like a, like a side loader, like continue the old web. It just, it's all fucked up, but that's okay. But now we're, we're gradually standardizing and turning it into this better version of it. Or what, what do you, what do you mean by that? Because I don't know if you noticed, but we have 30 something years of technical debt on the internet. We're not unwinding these old ass websites. It's just not fucking happening. Right. So it's it's called UOR because and people hate when I say this, but like I think it's from everything I've like as I've contemplated this, it's it's true in my thought experiments, right? So I don't think it's a, that makes it a truth, but I think it makes it plausible. Plausible. Um UOR allows us to make any expression that you could possibly imagine. 
right? So it's it's a, a universal language. Somebody referred to it as um, pro- a protocol droid, from like Star Wars, mm-hmm. and it's like this this universal language, and and it, and it, and really, it you know it's a declarative programming language. So you have data structures, um, and and those data structures have uh, app, like logic that's embedded into them that, you know, that are called as methods. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, like you were talking about like selenium tests today. Like how do you access all these fucking super, yeah, I think you could do it, right? Like I think you could access all of these 90s era. As long as no one changed anything. Yeah. But, yeah, it's probably not practical. But what, what, I, what I do think is practical is that we can publish a decentralized distributed, federated, you know, internet knowledge graph. And we can make references to anything in the universe within that knowledge graph, including the existing content on the internet and then all the new shit and things so, that are in our natural So world. when you say reference, mm-hmm. to, to me that means something very specific, and I'm not sure you mean it to be that specific. Do you, Because a, a reference could be a URL, for instance. Mm-hmm. Is it just that simple or are you talking about something where you actually like have some literal component that actually runs something within the URR or, or the, or the files themselves, you know, the images, the, the movies or whatever. What do you mean by a reference? I guess. Um, I mean that whenever I refer to something in the knowledge graph, so whether that thing is a location or whether it's an, an, I can, we can also reframe a location as an object, right? The idea of a location. Um, but a reference is, is, is a reference to an object within the knowledge graph. Uh, uh, but also in the public internet or wherever. It, it's not necessarily always just within the knowledge graph. So it could be a reference to a URL, for instance. And now it's in the knowledge graph. The knowledge graph then sucks in the URL? Is that what you're saying? No, it's a pointer. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. So so whenever you refer to anything, it's now within the knowledge graph. Right. Yeah, that seems doable. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I th- as I said earlier, I think you could probably shortcut this whole thing and just do it with common crawl. Yeah. I mean, it'd, exp- it'd be expensive just because it's expensive, but... Um, to process all that data, but totally doable. I, I got this question yesterday um, when I was on on a Slack, and they were asking about UORs' relationship to RDF, and you know the 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 way that we talk about the semantic web, and it's like. I don't know how to like untangle these concepts, right? Because like I'm really talking about crude operations, right? Or create, read, update, delete, execute, right? And then and then you can have extensibility off that, right? Like you can have other other methods, but what what I'm what I'm really focused on is UOR is um it's not just static data right because to 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 make an intangible expression 
right? That's kind of like a runtime consideration, you know? So, um, yeah, when we're, when we're talking about reference and when we're talking about knowledge graphs, like I, I, I don't know how to like really highlight, but we're, I'm talking about a, a runtime. It's a, it, you know, the, the, the internet. It seems like it needs some sort of parent process that runs atop this whole thing that finds the references that continues to hunt down, you know, bad links or, you know, dead nodes or whatever and calls stuff or, you know, flags it for, for review or whatever. Like, so it kind of seems like you almost like, I almost hate to say the word operating system. It feels like you need an operating system running on this whole thing. Like you need an O U R O sorry, U O R operating system. Yeah. Am I, am I crazy or is that, sound correct well in fact why isn't the entire uh disc within the an existing operating system and a urr yeah it's um so so the the runtime that i'm that i'm building into urr right now is it's based on um web assembly right now mm-hmm. you can do it with any other module modular system so like um U, uefi modules like you could do you could do this with the those um WebAssembly. Um, I don't. I don't really like containers as much, like the traditional Docker containers, because I, I I I still don't feel like running those is uniform across environments. Like I think there's there's still, it's it's close, but I think WebAssembly is a little bit a little bit easier to work with, as far as like, you know. Um, yeah, but but you see what I'm saying? Where yeah. you could you could have an operating system where you just get, just get rid of the traditional file system, you know, that, that's what yeah. I'm building. Okay. Yeah. So you, so you would, if I'm going to edit, you know, et cetera, password or whatever, it's no longer et cetera, password. It's somewhere on the graph that that is where the password database is stored. Let's say, well, we can still describe it as it's Unix file location. Okay. Right. You, you, so you keep the original file system. Well, you could, you could, you could still have that reference in there to that, but then you'd have other mechanisms of referencing it as well. Right, other other semantic expressions about what that is. Interesting. Yeah, I meant a full forklift upgrade, a brand new operating system entirely built on U uh, URR. Yeah, but I I love greenfield solutions. Like that's what I right. Like that's every developer's nirvana, right? Like I don't have to I don't have to fuck with your your technical debt or any of these other legacy decisions. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that by preserving legacy expressions that we just get like a natural compatibility with the existing internet. Yeah. I will say that one thing the graph I have not seen a good answer for is user roles within a graph. Like mm. I don't I don't know how you have the equivalent of Unix file system where you have groups and groups, certain groups can access certain things and users can access it if, you know, with certain permissions to read it only or read and write or execute or whatever. Like I don't see currently a graph that allows multiple users to be interacting with a single node in that way. Like you could with a Unix file system. So, which is risky, but interesting. And, I think it would, I think it does need to be solved to be honest. I love the idea of having my graph. Let's say I'm, I'm trying to go on a date or something. It's like, well, I'll share my, the graph of my, 
of my uh, calendar or something um, so that you can see it, sort of like Calendly or something. Now we're talking about James's archival machine, right? Because because now you're sharing a graph, right? You, or part you, of the graph. Right. You not die. The, not the whole graph. Well, no, you don't You don't want those pictures released. Well, yeah, that is certainly true. You don't want those pictures released. Um, but what I really mean is, um, like, my CPA, they don't need to know anything about my love life. No. It's not relevant. Right. My my boss doesn't need to know about my taxes. Yeah. Uh, my, you know, my significant other doesn't need to know about, you know, some, my, my buddy over here who's got some problems going on or whatever, right? Let's say I just met this girl or something, and I'm like, it's like, well... I'll share my calendar with you, but I'm, I'm not sharing like anything about my personal life yet. You're right. We're so, we just met, you know? So you can have sort of like partitioned parts of the graph yeah. of your, your love life, your business, your, you know, home life, whatever your family, you keep these things carpet, compartmentalized insofar as you need to share bits and pieces to the right party. Yeah. And that's what I think is currently missing from all the implementations I've seen. So, Unless I miss something somewhere. So, um, you were saying something, and it reminded me of something that I'm not going to remember right now. So, um, well, well, okay. So the only thing I have seen is it just multiple graphs. Yeah, which right. sucks. That's shit. Then you're in that that stupid situation where everybody's referring to the thing. Yeah. Right, but they're referring to their thing. Right. Not the thing. Right. If, right. So, so UOR, um, we would talk about like internet scale, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to have registries. Right, that that you can publish these artifacts into, and then and then discover them. Right. So, so within so the way that I'm implementing the registries is with o- OCI Open Containers Initiative. That's like your um, for the audience, I guess. For the it's the uh, where the Docker containers come from, right? Where the Docker's come from, mm-hmm. and um, and so I'm, I'm I'm using that because it's actually a really elegant data model and and and, and implementation I, there's some problems with it but um it's 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 extensible it's 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 a, it's a it's a, a dag based solution it's kind of like perfect for what we need right and the i think the most important thing about it though is that it allows decentralized interactions mm-hmm. right because it's chopped up into namespaces this is my namespace right this is your namespace, right? Well, we can make references to content between namespaces. Sure. And so, so the UOR registry is is actually um, a search API uh, extension on top of an OCI registry. So we're publishing OCI artifacts um, that contain these semantic expressions, and then those are being indexed by this search API extension um and so when when you're interacting with the search api it's it's giving you it's making all of the content in that registry um discoverable that you would have authorization to view right so 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 now you you, yeah you you have this decentralized capability in that, which I think is what you, is what you, which is what you see is lacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Another, cause it, cause you can solve that problem. It gives, it, if it finally means I'm willing to push graph to everybody. Yeah. 
Because right now, it's like, it's nice that I have a graph. Great. Why does anyone else care that I have a graph? Yeah. Well, but if I'm willing to publish, you know, my blog posts on it, let's say, and you want to see my blog posts, great. Then you subscribe to this chunk of the graph and there you go. And likewise, if someone else is doing something interesting, I'll subscribe to theirs. And now you have a network effect of people wanting to give access to their chunks of graphs. Like, I'm, I'm surprised this hasn't been a more important focus for the graph guys because it, it's nice to have like your own private you know, graph database and there's a GraphQL and whatever. Um, and it, I guess that makes sense if I have a private project. But if you're trying to allow a second brain, if you're trying to allow websites to exist or whatever, you, you kind of want the social aspect of it. I could, you could build an entire social network on top of a graph very easily, actually. <laughs> it's, it's, inher- it's an inherent social network. Right. It, it literally becomes... Like you could just build, just decide to start writing in a sheet and suddenly whoever subscribed to that seeing it because it's all unified. It would be a really kind of clunky UI, but that's easy to build a UI on top of that. You don't build a UI. I mean, but you could, is what I'm saying. You can make it beautiful and, you know, bouncing and all this stuff that my buddies hate. (laughs) I think there's, I think there's two UI options here. Mm -hmm. I think in, in one scenario for the UI of the graph, we have another process that's sitting outside and it's, it's looking at the, the graph and it's describing the graph in, in HTML so that when, when you go to, when, when you register that query, right, to the graph, you can discover the HTML descriptions of the graph and then render those in your browser. Yes, the, yeah, yeah. But the people who really, really love to do this kind of stuff are going to say, yes, but it's got to update itself. Because when someone sends a message, the, the HTML has to refresh the page. You know what I mean? Well, that's when that's when you put in the temporal data w- with, with every expression in the graph. Yes, yeah, so, but the HTML has to be aware that the graph has changed. So you, at minimum, you have to have some sort of XML HTTP request or something that goes and says, hey, is there an update? Is there an update? Is there an update? Which is means it's a pretty heavy server loads to somewhere to something. Um, this is actually where we talked a little bit about uh, Cloudflare's worker APIs. That, that's actually a great use case right there because then you could say, is it there? Is it there? Is it there? But you're hitting Cloudflare. It's internal worker. You're not going off and hitting a web server where you're just getting charged like crazy for it. Yeah. Um, I think, I think one of the interesting things about Cloudflare is that when you have a graph artifact system or whatever the fuck we're describing there's and 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 let's say that these are decentralized registry instances right so like i can reference from registry to registry right because the the registry is just a namespace right the the actual location of that of that service Mm. is an addressable namespace right so i can federate my references between registry instances and then you start getting these these really groovy um, things happening where it's like if everybody's subscribing to I'm talking about like pull through caches and there's a bunch of you know different ways of, of accessing these artifacts and through these registry instances. Um, it's kind of like a CDN. When we talk about like a UR based artifact 
It could be. It's a, it's 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 it like could an, also it could also be DNS. It could be a bunch of things. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's the first thing I modeled with UOR was DNS. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but but what I think happens here is it be it takes on the characteristics of a CDN um, as the artifacts are are being discovered. Um, what you're going to have is um, you you touched on it. You're going to have um, popular nodes. And then, and then you'll have like consensus, right? Like maybe everybody who visits the node signs it or something or publishes, a, you know, their signature uh, and links it to that node mm-hmm. or something. Or you could even have other uh, processes analyzing behavior and then, and then like ranking nodes. Um, yeah, one of the things we yeah. had talked about a long time ago, I'm pretty sure this was with James, we were talking about this, is like, there's almost zero point in the way um, DNS works today. It's actually pretty bad. Yeah, James. Um, I I don't know if he's famous for hating DNS, but he <laughs> fucking hated DNS. Yeah. Well, it it made my life easier when I was doing penetration testing, so I liked it an awful lot. But <clears throat> but it was it's also very stupid. It's like and, and also a cell TLS is quite stupid as well. Mm-hmm. Like I should be able to control all of that on my servers. I don't like why. Why do I have to rely on a on a you know on a GoDaddy or whatever? Why not just be able to publish a single certificate mm-hmm. that po- points to wherever I say I'm going to control it, and I could do my own DNS and sign it in my own way and whatever, and publish anything I want, mm-hmm. including entire web pages and DNS, whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Um, this actually kind of does solve this problem mm-hmm. because. As long as there was a pointer somewhere, and it could be in who is uh, record, let's say you could just get a re- totally get away with um, removing DNS entirely here. Um, just use who is and mm-hmm. say here's the here's the location of the thing. Here's the certificate. Here's the location. And assuming as it's signed, and you believed who is was correct, no one had spoofed who is. You could just get rid of DNS and say, just look here. Look at this thing. This yeah. is where everything is. Yes. Everything. Inclu- Fuck DNS. In- including the content, too. So you could also yeah. get rid of the web servers and a bunch of other stuff. You still need something to render it. But, yeah, um, yeah I I think there is something to that. But, man, that's a heavy lift. It's it's not. It is a heavy lift. And I'm going to show you how. Ugh. I'm going to sh- I'm, I'm going to show You're you. are going to show the world. And the world how, how this happens. Okay. Um. One one thing that you touched on that I think is super important about about this type of technology is that we can start digitally signing everything. Yeah. And then and then what happens when you go to something and like Alex signed it, right? You're like, well, yeah, that's cool, right? Like Alex signed that, right? But what if what if Google, Facebook, IBM Yahoo, what if what if a bunch of known entities or trusted you because you, you, you we'll always have a trust um, right um, trust store right we're always going to have to know who we trust right and so what if everybody's signing things through consensus right and so then that you know that's that's something that's interesting um, yeah I, I'm not a huge fan of consensus protocols because you always have the 51 percent attack issue. Mm-hmm. But if you have something centralized like who is, if who is is messed up, mm-hmm. everything else is messed up. So if you can rely on who is, 
as sort of a, I'm not in love with who, who is, but if you could use who is, um, and frankly, who is doesn't work everywhere too, which is even, even stupider, but not a great service. Uh, it really is not, but it, assuming like that's the one thing, like we could rubber stamp that one thing, mm-hmm. then everything else could trickle from there. You could say, okay, well, if you, if you trust who is at all, trust the fact that the who is records within who is are correct and then trickle down to the signatures. And, and now you could just have this massive graph sitting there with all of this data. I, I like that. I just think it's a very heavy lift because oh. now, because now first of all, you have to build it. Mm-hmm. No one's built it. You have to update who is in the way that ever it would have to be updated to support this thing. Then people would have to know to use who is, and you're not really allowed to scrape who is, <laughs> but you kind of have to hit who is like crazy to do this. Every single website would have to be hit before you went there. And there's a lot of websites out there. Mm. Um, and, uh, and who is, isn't cached. And so it's not like DNS where you just hit it once and then you keep it in your browser. You'd have to hit it constantly because there's no caching in it, mm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's all these problems. Very heavy lift. Yeah. Um, I still like it. I just don't think it's practical. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I think that w- what we would need is for somebody or some organization um, to publish something significant in, in this format, right? To kind of kick, kick it off. I think that you need like the somebody to take the first step and, and operationalize this. And then, and then the knowledge graph will start building, right? This, this is why that. I think social wins. If you get enough social, if people use it, mm-hmm. just normal human beings and everyone's yeah. starting to use it and it's just collecting more and more data all the time, it's going to be pretty hard to discount it. Yeah. And, and then you can start putting business applications on it and whatever. Yeah. Um, Imagine sending a message in using the system. Like if I wanted to send a message to you, right? Like I would, I would, I would have a, you need permissions you need some sort of permission control built into this whole thing. Well, so you don't, but there's a mechanism that provides that. And that's whenever you do a query into the graph, a part of your query could be your trusted certificates, right? So you're only discovering content that has been signed by Oh, you're saying encrypt all the data as you send it? Is that what you're no, saying? no, no. Just digital, just signatures. Yeah, but if anyone can read the graph, yeah. or if only you can read the graph, and I can't send you data to the graph, at least it has to have an, a place to accept data. Well, so if I'm going to send you a message, yeah. right, I'm going to publish a some statement, right, that 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 um that has a taxonomy of of a message. Right, I'm going to publish that, and then I'm going to link it to you into the in the graph. Now you can you can choose. How? What do you, you can't, mean? If you can't touch my graph, what do you mean touch it? Well, if if my graph is my graph and your graph is your graph, I can still refer to you though. Yeah, but how do I know anything about your graph to know that you referred to me? It would be, it would be um, relational to your to you to the idea of you or a note of, of you on the in the graph. Yeah, but how do I find that reference if it's your graph? See, this is what I'm talking about, man. You got, we got to have some way to share part of the graph. Yeah. That's right. critical for this to work. Yeah. And I bet you could do it in hokier ways where it's just like there's a way to forward something into a system that just gets dumped onto my graph, but then I have a bunch of junk on my graph. But, but that's okay, though. 
like in, in, in what I'm talking about, every spam asshole, whatever in the world can link or make a reference to you. Right. But you don't give a shit because you don't when you look at the graph, you're only looking at the graph with digital signatures that you trust. So you're only discover, discovering content that you've deemed relevant to you. As long as you just don't throw it in all a gigantic vector database, I think you'd be okay. Yeah, right. So that, so that I, would be a problem. So or, or maybe you could uh, only vectorize stuff that you had been signed or something. Yeah, I, th I think there's a couple ways of doing that. Um, my initial assumption is that a local a local cache is is going to be better for that. So it's something that's, you know, nobody else is going to interact with except for you. Mm. You, you're that in you know that I don't know something on a cell phone or something you know mm -hmm. all right dude well um yeah real quick yes we just to tie tie a bow on the james thing yeah let's do it yeah so so i spend my entire life living in uor right I published all of my calendars, my pictures, like fucking everything to the graph, right? When I die, yeah, I don't want my kids looking at my porn. Why not? Yeah, it's fucking not, that's not weird. It's, it's not, not good enough? Or? Yeah. So, <laughs> You're not proud of it? <laughs> yeah, it's like, dad had these fetishes. Like, no, I don't want that. Um <laughs> What I, what I, um, maybe they'll think you just had a good life. I'm like, oh, dad, he really, really loved that. Yeah. So, so that's the James thing, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's in, it's in preserving who you are, right? Because w another way that you refer to this technology in, in this, in this engagement has been his second brain. Mm -hmm. So, what you're giving your loved ones or whoever you want to pass that on to you're giving them you, right? Or whatever version of you that you want them to see. So that's, yeah, but, uh, that's the time oof. capsule. Yeah, so the, I mean, what do you have an AI on top of it that says, I'm willing to talk to you, son, about anything except for my porn collection? No, 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 no. So so, so this is a attribute-based uh, access control problem, uh -huh. right? Where your children have the attributes that would be needed to unlock those parts of your knowledge graph. Got it. Yeah. And that would be supplied to them in a, like a, a legal contract? Like, how would they get it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you could have a, a situation where the, the presence of your death certificate within the graph, right, um, is, a, is a component of, 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 that, of that process. Yeah. Gotcha. Pretty easy to forge that. You gotta start somewhere. We gotta work on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it has to be signed by a trusted party, though, right? Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. As long as that trusted party isn't your kids, you want to look at your porn collection. It's all good to go. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's gotta be signed by the state of Texas. <laughs> all right, man. Um, so, how do people get in touch with you and learn more about this stuff? They don't. Yeah, come on. No, um, I don't really have a social media. Uh, footprint i'm on linkedin um i have an email address if you want to tell the internet your email address maybe not 
<laughs> is, no. there a, is there a website they can find out more about this project or a set of projects? Yeah, I've I've had a couple inter, um, inaugural posts on my blog. There, um, there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah, alexflom.com. Easy to remember. Yeah, alexflom.com. It has a uh, contact um, contact form. Um, actually, that is a way to contact. There me. you go. Well, you just throw up a GitHub page. You don't think about it again, you know. But um, but yeah, it, it you does have a contact it to form. make sure it actually works. I did. I did. I sent, <laughs> oh, my, yeah. I sent myself an email. Yeah. All right. Good. 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 Yeah. I always test those things like every couple of months. Cause yeah, I should probably do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so much breaks. God, I don't even remember configuring that. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> don't don't look at the repo, okay? There might be some secrets littered throughout it. But no, yeah, um, .com, um and the contact page there or um, LinkedIn. Great. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, man. Thank you so much for coming down. I uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Sort of. Parts of it. In a morbid way? <laughs> yeah. The good parts were good. Yeah. Oh, oh, can I did I get can I have a mulligan real quick? I don't know. Can you? Fucking James, dude. Last time when he was on your podcast, yeah. he said that I don't know shit about artificial intelligence. So it just so happens that I pulled up the quotes just in case this came up. Um, yeah, go ahead. So he said. Um, I was talking, there's two quotes, yeah. uh, so I'll, I'll read both of them. Um, I was talking about, um, talking about my brother and his understanding and he's working on AI models, but he doesn't understand any of the implications or why or how any of it works behind the scenes. And I think that's just super common now. That's yeah, quote number yeah, one. Yeah. Keep in mind, this was, uh, this is quite a, quite a few months back. So, mm. Um, second quote, you realize someone's going to make it and he's referring to it being, uh, some AGI or something, make it automated so that your net pet or whatever just automatically brushes its own teeth or whatever it does to take care of itself. Then it's going to decide because you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes that it's going to brush everyone's teeth and take over the world. And that's just how the world's going to end with AI brushing your teeth to death. It's the paperclip machine. Yeah. 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 So, um, I don't make AI, AI models. <laughs> I'm not a fucking, yeah, I don't do that. So there, that's my answer. There you go. I don't, yeah, of course I don't. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> so I started the nonprofit called dammitjames.com, which I am going to use at some point to, to basically help people, uh, interface with AI better. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I'll talk about it more at a later date, but um, the nonprofit's called da the Damn It James Foundation. Should be. I love it. Yeah. Thanks for doing that, by the way. Yeah. Love your brother. Badass. <laughs>